at the end of time, a moment will come when just one man remains. Then the moment will pass. Man will be gone. There will be nothing to show that we were ever here but podcasts. Why is he doing, as far as I can tell, a South African accent? I don't know. Because that's pretty. I'm pretty sure that's the accent he's he's selected. I think so too. I had forgotten yeah. the accent. Yeah. Because this was when I saw this movie. Mm. Mark Strong was not a guy on my radar yet. No, he wasn't on your old radar. No, and the times I rewatched it, so I was, was like, "Oh, Mark Strong, that guy is starting to pop up." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I will talk about all of this. I don't think I had seen this movie in a decade. What? It has been 15 years since this movie came out, right? It's fucked up. I probably watched it five or six times within those first five years, mm-hmm. and then just hadn't seen it in a decade. Yeah, and obviously, Mark Strong became like omnipresent. For a couple of years, he became in that a real rent a villain. Yes. Not, I don't say that negatively. The man does good work. Uh-huh. He's a good actor, but he played a lot of villains very quickly. Yeah. A uh, hard man. Yes. As the Brits would say. Right. So I don't think I hard had man? a sense. Hardman. Hard man. Uh, you an odd man. You know, hard man. You, you know. an odd man? Ard man Studios? You know, it's like, you know, a guy where you're like, mm, I probably shouldn't like, fuck with this guy at the bar. You know what I mean? Like, you just sort of see someone and you're like, mm, if I like, you know, cut in front of this guy, like, you know, to, to, like, he would have no compunction about just like curb stomping It's, it's not me. like this is always the case, but it's funny when you watch interviews with real Mark Strong, he is like such a lovely, quiet, soft-spoken yeah. man. Uh, unsurprisingly, look, lovely actor man, like thoughtful, right? But also when, like, it's not like he looks intense and then has this lovely energy about him. Mm. You know, where it's like some of these guys, you're like, surprisingly, he's very low-key. Mm. When you watch interviews with him talking, you're like, how could you ever cast this guy as a villain? And it does feel like there's some switch he flips. Right, right And then right, becomes right. an odd man. Well, what were you going to say, Ben? You look like you were burning to make a point about, uh, about the, the Brits really own headbutts. Oh. And I know it's because of soccer. Yes. Or, sorry, football. Perfectly pronounced. Well done. But they really, to me, I'm like, that's a move that, like, Brits own. Well, and Mark Strong has a head that looks designed for headbutt. That's <laughs> uh, the other he does. weird thing. He's got a bullet-shaped head. A Glasgow kiss. Have you ever heard that expression? No. That's a headbutt. To the Usually nose? to the nose. Yeah. yeah, to try and get you to bleed, you know. Wow. Classic uh, football uh, hooliganism sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. And do you know what a Glasgow French kiss is? <laughs> no headbutt to the nose and then they lick you <laughs> this is blank check with griffin and david i'm griffin i'm david it's a podcast about filmographies directors who are experienced massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want and sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce right into the sun baby mm, mm. see i thought you were gonna say spit into their mouth Why? instead of lick oh oh I th- French kiss, I think more of the tongue than the spit. Yeah, right. The spit's already happening in any version of the kiss, unless you're doing fucking airhead, airhead, warheads. Sure. Pucker, sour face. Look, I'll talk about this in a second, <laughs> but I'll get into this. Don't worry, a whole sidebar coming. Um, it's a mini-series on the films of Danny Boyle. Right. It is called Train Spodcasting. Train Spodcasting. And today, we are talking about one of our great promised outstanding dream board episodes Mm -hmm. from the very beginning of this show someone was trying to pin 
the first time we said we should do a Sunshine episode. Probably really early. It was, I believe, episode one of Attack of the Podcast. Okay, so like Because we were doing... or whatever. When we were in the Star Wars days, the original version of the show where we just talked about the Star Wars prequels, mm-hmm. the first episode of each miniseries would just be the opening five minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And the opening five minutes of Attack of the Clones is Rose Byrne dying. Oh, yeah, she's one of the fake Padme's. Fake Padme. And, and she's, then she's like, I'm so sorry. You know, she has like a little right. monologue. Someone found the clip, and it, we were both like, not a great performance. And we were like, which is bizarre because she's become one of the best actors we have right now. Yeah. And then we were talking about Rose Byrne performances we liked. We both went like Sunshine, and we were like, that movie's a fucking masterpiece. We should do an episode on Sunshine. We had just done Judging the Judge. So mm-hmm. we had established this model of like we do Star Wars movies and then we so, yeah, did a so weird we were like, one-off. We'll do a Sunshine, right? This was this point where we were like, Why I don't know, maybe do we occasionally judge? do like we thought we were going to do like a one-off Hulk episode, a one-off Sunshine episode. We had these couple of like one-offs yeah. we wanted to do before we landed on the miniseries thing, the director thing. So this has been talked about since 2015, um, and now we're doing it's an eight-year promise, Sunshine. Um, it's why one reason we're doing Danny Boyle, obviously. Huge. Huge reason. You haven't seen this movie in 10 years, though? Isn't that wild? And I watched it so many times. So like, weird. I probably watched it three or four times in 2007. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I, I kept watching it, like, once a year. And I, I truly think it had maybe been a decade since I saw it. Maybe a little less, but it had been a while. Sunshine, a 2007 film. Ben! Yes? Have you seen this movie? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I was wondering. Um... I, I, someone recommended it to me. Mm. Or you know what? Actually, fuck. Maybe Griffin who, and David? Who was it? It was you two fuckers. Yeah, yes. right. what probably do you mean? us. Someone. And I finally came across it and just was like, all right, I'm going to put this on. Yeah. And it was like a fantastic space movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love a space mystery. That's one of my favorite kinds of absolutely space genres. Yes. It's a space mystery. Yeah. I mean, you know, an interesting thing about this movie is I think it's straddling a couple different genres at the same time. Yeah. And it's doing them pretty seamlessly. Obviously, the controversial element of this movie is whether the last 30 minutes work for you or not. And a lot of people, it's a breaking point. But we will get into this at length. Here's what I want to say. I have nothing to say to those people. This episode, an eight-year promise to our listeners, to ourselves, to right. finally talk sunshine, right? Yeah. yeah. There is an unfortunate runner on this show, Blank Check with Griffin and David. What? The biggest episodes, the ones I'm most excited for. I'm fucking sick. Oh, you're sick. Okay, sure. Yeah. Here's my state right now. Okay. I have a sinus infection, mm. which makes me feel like I'm inside of the sunsuit from this movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like completely like enclosed in that like gold suit with the tiny slit. Where I can like barely breathe. And then also I went to the dermatologist yesterday to get stuff removed and I'm like blistering all over. So I feel like fucking pinbacker. Mm. I feel mm. like my skin is like molting and I'm in the suit. <sighs> yeah, gross. All this to say, Sunshine, a masterpiece from 2007 by Danny Boyle. Uh, Edward Yang, only three points ahead of David Lean right now. First post race. Interesting. Just launched. Very interesting. Sunshine, a great film by Danny Boyle. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites. It feels... I've seen it a dozen times, if not yeah. more. Yeah. Um, it feels what? No, I was going to say, in, in a certain way, this is one of his biggest blank checks, and it's weird that it's coming off of an unsuccessful movie. But I guess the 28 Days Later effect was just yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah. Millions doesn't even 
that people didn't even know that existed. No, and him going to Fox Searchlight and being like, I want to work with the same guy and do another elevated genre movie like 28 Days Later, I think was just a strong pitch to them. What same guy? Killian Murphy. Alex Garland and Killian Murphy. Oh, yeah. sure. Both Alex of them. Garland. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. He's like, same screenwriter, same lead actor. Right. What we I can... did for 28 Days Later well, for the zombie movie, can I do something for the space movie? Well. Well. I guess we could talk about how this movie came together. Yeah, because it's interesting. Danny Boyle was attached to make a film called 3000 Degrees for mm. Warner Brothers. That's hot. Uh, about hot. a real-life 1999 Massachusetts fire that had killed six firefighters. So he's in a, he's in a hot place. He's in a hot mindset That's in terms true. of his next film. Uh, it's based, obviously, on like a nonfiction book. It sort of sounds like a... Um, it's based on a fire. Based it's on based on a, a based real on fire, fire, but it sort of sounds like the perfect storm or whatever. It's like sure. let's like there's a nonfiction book about this like unusual disaster. Mm-hmm. I think it was going to be like Ed Harris, Woody Harrelson. You know, it's going to be this cast of kind of like gritty chrome guys, domes. gritty gritty chrome domes. Uh, and it ran into like protests from the real life surviving family members and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess Warner Brothers just kind of backed off. You know, they were like, all right, forget it. Um. Uh, one thing he says though is you know it's an extraordinary true story I tried to cast this actor for the main part and I went to meet him he said I don't want to play it and I said why not because it was a really good part mm-hmm. and he was like well the guy dies and the guy this actor who he won't name uh-huh. I'd love to know who it is said yeah but you know no one remembers anyone who dies in films and uh, Danny Boyle is just like uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, I, that's just a little fact. Yeah, I'm like, how many people have I don't won think that's, Oscars uh, true. for dying yeah, right, on screen? Right. Danny Boyle is trying to be like, maybe he had a point. And I'm like, I don't think he had a point, Danny. I think that's, uh, no, that's the kind either. of thing someone says where you're supposed to be like, huh, oh, interesting. But it's not actually real. It's always funny when you hear those stories about actors who turn down parts and they're just like, audiences always hate a character who does this. Uh, you can never play something uh, you know, like, like this. There's like fucking a million movies, man. Right. There's definitely examples of that not being true. Right, and I'm also Weirdo. just like, that sounds like a you problem. Also, yeah, you I, can say, I don't know how to play this. I don't think I can make this character sure. work. But when they're like, audiences always hate anyone who dies. <laughs> right, or forget about them. Like, yeah. Anyway, obviously the other space movie, Danny Boyle, we, I think we mentioned this on an early episode, is considered making was Alien Resurrection. Yes. That he was attached to that, and then he dropped out. It was earlier in his career, and he was like, I'm not ready to do, like, a big CG movie. But it's sort of interesting to think about that. Uh He does, obviously, uh, Alien Love Triangle, which we talked about. His unreleased short film. Small scale. Small scale sci-fi comedy. Um, Alex Garland, Mm -hmm. obviously, had worked with him on 28 Days Later. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I have this idea for a Mission to the Sun movie. We'll Mm -hmm. do, like, a classic meditative sci-fi movie like 2001 or Solaris or whatever, but like nobody ever thinks of the sun. We're yes. always going that away. What about that away towards it? Um, and uh, they, they both in interviews, both Garland and Boyle keep talking about it like a mountaineering movie, which I kind of like that idea Interesting. of like trying to climb something gets harder and harder, the closer and closer you yeah. get to the top. Yeah. Kinda no, cool. I mean, that's what I like about the uh, structure of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I also read some quote from them where they were saying, like, it was exciting to us to have an apocalyptic threat that was basically the opposite of our environmental concerns. Sure. Right. Rather than global warming, global chili. Right. Like, if if you're making a sci-fi movie about the thing that probably will eventually kill us all. Mm, too much of a bummer. Right. And instead, It would be funny, like, though, 
if that was what it was about. Yes. And they had to go to the sun and like throw a big bucket of water on it. Cool. That would be too cool. hot. Cool it down. Cool it down. You just get a big hose and they're like, will you cool down? You get crazy old sun. I just think it's such a good like starting point choice for this movie. That it's a thing where you're like, that sounds like a really scary threat. I could see how that would make it difficult for us to live, but it's not a thing that we're actually worried about right now. No, it's not a real thing, but yes. it is a good concept. Our yes. sun is dying. Yes. Everyone knows that suns eventually kind of die out. Mm -hmm. Sure, our sun is about four and a half billion years from doing that, but whatever. What if it yeah. was just doing that? Mm -hmm. What and then that, Early then, retirement. Then the idea of like, well, how would we fix that? Like, well, we'd shoot a giant bomb into it to mm. kind of kind of like... You know, yeah. Well, it's like when the Wi-Fi, is yeah, it's working, like hitting the side of the TV. Yeah. You got to unplug it and plug it back in. Uh, I don't know if I'm getting ahead in the dossier here, but like the the other element of this movie that finally crystallized for me here, and maybe I'm an idiot and you've always picked up on this, but I was reading some interview with Killian Murphy where he was talking about the prep work he did with Danny Boyle, mm -hmm. and Danny Boyle was like, "Watch Wages of Fear." Yes, right. Huge, huge, great idea. In terms of actors having to sell tension and stakes and intensity and trying to solve a problem and i'm like oh right that's the genius of this movie is he's basically combining alien with wages of fear wages of fear ben if you haven't seen it yeah a, a incredible french film by clouseau that was remade as sorcerer mm -hmm. the great william friedkin um uh, uh roy scheider movie that you would love but uh both movies are about uh tough men hard men if you will Oh, who have to uh, transport oh, like a truck of nitroglycerin across the jungle, like like awful terrain. And so the whole thing is just these guys, like these tough guys who are constantly like at each other's throats, have this incredibly sensitive payload. They're trying to get <laughs> from one into blow the up. other. Can't let it blow up. Right. But that sort of thing of like, Careful. We, got, we got this bomb, we have to get it to this place. Right. Um... Garland meets Danny Boyle at a pub mm -hmm. on Tottenham Court Road. Cool. Gives him a 90-page script. Um, uh, Boyle says the original script was more small scale. At the end of the film, there were two guys left playing chess as they were going into the sun. Mm. So it was kind of a like, you know, probably more thinky movie. Mm -hmm. And Boyle is like, I want this to, you know, be more gargantuan, whatever, like... Uh, I want I want to keep the psychological element, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, he he boils it up. I mean, you know, Dan, yeah. you know, it's a Danny Boyle he, movie. He wants to make it function as a genre movie. Um, and yes, and I think Alex Garland's script did have the function that this script that the movie has the slasher thing of like mm -hmm. every twenty minutes someone dies, yeah. or even ten minutes, or you know, yeah. in in some new and inventive way. Um. But the way Boyle puts it is, I'm not like Tim Burton or Luc Besson who can do flamboyant sci-fi. I like realism and then I try to disfigure it. This mm -hmm. was science possible, not science impossible. Hmm. He takes the script to Brian Cox. Not. 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 Yeah, fuck off. Not that guy. Because he would have oh. said, fuck Michael off. Michael Caine's a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Fuck off. The sun. Uh, Everyone's a bad actor but me. <laughs> fuck off. Why does the ship have an actor? Like the, the, he's just there <laughs> playing himself. You know, NASA decided there had to be an actor on board. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, not Brian Cox, the actor, the great actor. Don't come for me. But Brian Cox, the kind of like cool, hip 
physicist who used to be in a band mm-hmm. like you know do you know brian cox i do this guy you know he's very cool i'm now just i'm sorry i went off thinking about brian cox coming at you <laughs> come here sims i can't do him he likes know. kissing too much fuck off <laughs> i wonder how he feels about kissing um i read his book I and mean, he definitely did some kissing kissing's for losers fuck off um so wait the other brian cox takes it what to the real the physicist in? brian cox Oh, what band was he in? It was a uh, wasn't he in D Ream? Like he was in like nineties. Oh god, it keeps giving me the actor. <laughs> Come on, the physicist. The fuck physicist. off. Google's telling you to fuck um, off. Yeah, he was in D Ream, um, which uh I you probably don't know about them, but they're a British band. Things can only get better. Big eighties, no. early nineties, kind of like synthy pop rock. I just like that Danny Boyle found the most Danny Boyle physicist possible. Uh yeah 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 I mean this guy he's oh, like oh wow look, so it's like dream dream but mm. D colon ream yeah. uh best known because Tony Blair used their song as his like campaign song okay. in, in Britain um things can only get better you understand I get it I yeah. get it um, you know what I say to that what fuck off fuck off um you know he's one of those Brian Cox it's just you know those scientists who break through because they can explain yeah. these very heady concepts sure. to you in a somewhat pedestrian way. He, and they, he, he they're not like weirdos a, uh, right. if you sit them in front of a TV person, TV camera, yes. right? Yes. You know, but I'm not saying he's stupid. I no, mean, he's no, clearly no, smart. No, no. Um, you're you're Bill Nye's. I know it's not a perfect analogy. No, but sure, this but thing you're of like, the guy's Dyson, a broadcaster, you know, right? Like, yeah, you know, these guys who kind of like break through in yes. some funny way. Carl right? Sagan, yeah. Well, sure, he's he's special. He's, yeah. he's the king. Uh, Beaker, Beaker, Beaker. Well, Honeydew's the one explaining. That's true. Beaker doesn't really talk. I couldn't think of the other one's yeah. name. Doctor Bunsen, Honeydew. <laughs> so some respect, top tier Muppet. Um, the script went through many revisions, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Boyle was sort of like the whole time trying to be like, let's just try to keep the sets contained. Like let's, he, he had this sort of budget. He's like, I don't want the beach again. Yeah. I don't want some kind of like production that spirals out of control. I do want something manageable in terms of setting. This movie cost $40 million in 2005 when they film it. Mm-hmm. So it would be, you know, 50 some odd million today. Sure. Um, but it is in this weird, like to make this movie for $40 million is a shoestring budget. A hundred percent. You know, even though this budget is close to the beach, the beach, obviously so much of that budget was DiCaprio and the rest of the movie. I'm like getting shit to this location. Inflated, right. This is, this is an incredible use of money, but it also made this film exist in a weird in-between space from the get-go. Because you hear all these stories. I mean, they're all here in the dossier about him everyone questioning, is this a Fox movie or is this a Fox Searchlight movie? Yeah. Right? And they were like, it's either like far and away the biggest Fox Searchlight movie we've made or it's like the smallest Fox release. And it was straddling this line of him wanting to do like psychologically grounded sci-fi but still have it function as a slasher right. and as a thriller and all of this where I think this movie was just like stuck between two poles for a very long time. Well, let me tell you. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know what their biggest mistake was. They shouldn't have called it Sunshine. It's a bad title. I'm you, sorry. Yeah, uh, it's an. It's not a. It's it's, it's like not a, a sellable title. Not a sellable title. Does not sound like an action movie. No, it doesn't. Doesn't sound like a space movie. Doesn't sound like a movie with like you know high octane sunshine. No. We love the title. I don't mind the title. I, if okay, it was I called, love it then. I'll speak for myself. I like the title. But, but I, I agree with you. I think it's hard to sell. I don't know what you're supposed to call it. There was that fucking also that this had Oscar buzz. 
movie Sunshine there was, with Ray Fiennes. There was a big Oscar-buzzed Sunshine movie eight years prior. Right. And, and like, we're the only fuckers who even remember that thing existing. But it does feel yeah. like that's the kind of movie you think would be called Sunshine. I agree. And yeah. again, I don't know what the movie should be called, but I'm just saying. Um, yeah. The Icarus 2 or whatever. Well. Project Icarus. Mission no. to... See, all of these kind of do yeah, sound bad. They're generic titles. That's the problem. Um, look, uh, he used storyboards pretty much for the first time. Boyle doesn't like storyboarding, mm-hmm. but for this one, he was like, well, it's completely essential. Yeah. Um, that's also, that's the way you make this movie on a budget, is you yeah, figure you out every everything. single thing perfectly years in advance. Um, 20th Century Fox mm-hmm. is the first person they reach out to because they had worked on various Boyle mm-hmm. movies, but they were wary because of the uh, disaster that Solaris had been for them. Yes. The uh, Steven Soderbergh masterpiece. Right. uh, That was a hugely expensive, cost twice as much as this movie and bombed. Right. So they're like, the second someone comes in with any heady ideas in space. Yeah, exactly. They're scared. scared. Um, So they start getting some British funding, lottery funding, ingenious film partners. Mm -hmm. Which is some kind of, you know, whatever, you know, European investor. And then Fox Searchlight, as you say, yes. brings in uh, the rest. Um, they did want to change the title. To? They didn't say. They just thought okay. the title sounded like the title of a musical. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did basically say, because we're Fox Searchlight and we're not mean old Fox, mm-hmm. you're allowed to have whatever cast you want. You can shoot it in London, yeah, and you can like have total creative control. The one thing I read was that, and the cast of this movie is insane. But insane. at the time, they are not names. No. Michelle Yeoh is probably the biggest name Correct. in this cast. Correct. She, uh, she's the biggest name in this cast, and this is arguably in a, a slight lull in her career. She's just also just always been an actor who in Hollywood just does movies. Yeah, she doesn't open movies. No, it's a little not, taken you know, for she, granted. She's an ensemble player, yes. or like in a big way, but not in a like she's into Mummy Three. She's not right. on the fucking poster. No, no, but she is. She is the biggest star in this movie. Yeah, and by, almost by default, but right. yeah. And then it's a lot of people that they're trying to launch. Um, I mean, I. <laughs> I guess Chris Evans had already done Fantastic Four. So yeah, maybe well, he's we're sort gonna, of similar. Look, we're going to do a whole Evans but, uh, yeah, thing. Uh, yeah, but sure, I sure. feel like that was one of those things where, I mean, this comes out the same year as the second Fantastic Four movie. I think yeah. that's a total example of like, this guy was in a big hit and he was one of the stars and he was the performance that everyone liked in relative to the rest of that yeah, cast. True. Right? He's the one who came close to He's got to some popping. life in those movies. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, he was not automatically made a star by that. He's the kind of name where a studio calms down a little bit because you're, like, you're giving us a name of a handsome guy who was in a film that was a hit, but no one thinks he's drawing an audience at this point. He's just kind of a little bit of a safety net. And then Killy Murphy, you're like, okay, he was the villain in Batman. Yeah. And well, 20 can, days later. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah, talk yeah, about, we'll all, talk these about all these guys. Um, the one thing I saw the Fox, I keep saying the one thing I saw. I saw many things. I have read many things about this movie. Okay. Fox Searchlight's big ask was you can put together this cast that is very international with a lot of people who are not yet bankable stars. Please have as many of them speak with American accents as possible. That was apparently their one demand. Hmm. I mean, okay. Yeah. Um, we, they just were so worried about people can take up a, a, a multinational hear, cast, no, I hear, but... I hear, I hear. They all need to sound American. Now, this is the last Danny Boyle, Alex Garland collaboration. Which is wild. It feels um, like they kept working together. No. Garland starts doing his own he thing spins off. much after this. Yeah. 
Um, they basically agreed on everything sort of unlike 28 days later, he says like, basically like, you know, they had the same inspirations, mm-hmm. um, uh, and they respect each other, um, very much. They do speak highly of each other, but Garland does kind of complain, sort of complain in this interview. I mean, Garland, I've interviewed him. He's mm-hmm. a grumpy guts mm-hmm. and I, I love him. Hey, grumpy guts. Um, we stand at Grumpy Ghost. What he says here, which is, is Danny has a terrific instinct towards viscerality and compulsion. If you're making 28 Days Later, then you're in perfect sync. Sunshine in my mind was closer to Ex Machina, tonally more reflective. Sometimes viscerality and reflection are fighting for space on that movie. It's a balance issue. Um, but Garland is still mostly like, but Danny is a good director and he's making good choices. Like he's, yeah. but he can, he clearly is like, I envisioned a more meditative film than this. I, I think the emotionality is key to this film. I agree. And I just I, think I, he I like, should get over it. I like Alex Garland's uh, movies. Me too. As a director. And I like his whole vibe as a director. Um, but this is a movie that needs a bit of the earnest lifeblood. Yeah. Look, I love Alex what Garland's people mean movies. to each other, sort of Danny Boyle energy. Yeah, this movie has energy, and I love Alex Garland's yes. movies, but but also feeling. Ex Machina is like a chamber piece that works yes. totally. Yes, like a, that's yeah. I like Annihilation a lot. Yes, and I like the ending of it. Yeah, Men is the least successful of them, obviously, well, sure. but there's but, stuff. But, in but that Annihilation, I, yeah. like you know, there are directors who might have come in there and been like, "This needs a third act." Yeah, this can't actually just be this quiet the whole time you know i'm not sure if that would have been the right call but i can anyway yeah boyle and garland both think the third act of this movie could have been executed better Hmm. now uh again i think they just need to get over it yeah um Um, i mean this is one of those like they should just shut up i think they should shut up. hey david be respectful they made a movie that we love show a little respect uh it circulates a lot on the internet but there was I don't know, 20, 2009, 2010, Tarantino did a series of introductions mm. for some British film channel. He was like curating a series of his favorite movies of the last decade. Yeah. And he did video introductions for all of them. Yeah. And he, I feel like he kind of crystallized the complaint of this movie where he's like, the first two thirds of this movie, I think, are maybe the best film of the decade. And the last third of this movie is so apocalyptic. It makes me furious. I think it's like a disaster. I have rarely seen a movie self-sabotage itself this hard. Mm-hmm. But the first two thirds are so good. It's still in spite of that makes my 10. What is the, where is the, this last third? Like what's it, the It point? is the moment you find out basically that Pinbacker is still alive and that he is on the ship. Okay. That is when people flip on this movie. As I... I when remember, it starts to feel a little supernatural, heightened. I remember talking to a slasher. friend, yeah, normie friend of mine, Josh. Uh-huh. Shout out, Josh. Shout out, Josh. Around the time this movie came There's out, there's nothing wrong with being normal. I've known him most of my life, twenty I, years. I agree, Ben, but I also don't believe that you think that. Look, you I was talking to my friend people. Josh, <laughs> and I was like, I love sunshine. <laughs> And he was like, oh, yeah, I like that. I didn't like the last act. And I was like, yeah, I kind of stick up for the last act. And he's like, really? Like, when it's just like this guy being like, I am God. Yeah. And I was like, well, when you put it that way, <laughs> like, yeah, sure. <laughs> kind of body slam. an impression. It's silly. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I love it unabashedly. And I think mm-hmm. it's perfect. And I wouldn't want this movie any other way. On this rewatch, it was the first time where I could even, almost as an intellectual exercise, understand what people don't like about it. I think they're dumb, and I think they should shut the fuck up, as you said. 
But every other time I watch this, they're gonna come for you now. Yeah, well, great. Come at me. Okay, I don't like that. I don't want to get too like caught up on this. This Mm -hmm. is like so nitpicky. But if you're going to the sun, I don't see them once put on sunscreen. What? Not once. Hmm, This is part of the movie. They're all fucking obsessed with this thing. They're all like obsessed with towing this line and being like, "How much sun can I give me?" Three point one percent. That's just the one guy. Uh, Look. Back to the dossier. Pinbacker, they all—they're all starting to. Pinbacker could stand to moisturize. There's no question about that. Pinbacker could use some cocoa butter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big time. Um, Alien in 2001, obvious uh-huh. two influences. If you're going to make a space movie, pretty much anybody. Yep. But what's one thing that Boyle likes about those movies? Ensemble films. Yes. With not big stars. Right. And with Alien, Alien in especially the feeling of like this being a workplace. Workplace. You've yeah. got this kind of cast of character actors and up and comers, um, and you know you really try and make it feel very level playing field. Yeah. Because of course the magic of seeing Alien the first time. We don't get to have this magic because we know who Sigourney Weaver yes. is, but like, is that you really don't know who the final person is going to be? No, no, really feels like it could be anyone. Here's what's wild about this film almost everyone in it has gotten so much more famous since then. Since that, even still watching it today, you're like, I don't know who makes it because it's not like now retroactively, right. I understand that one of these people popped, no, and the others didn't. Troy Garrity is, I would argue unfairly right like we we've maybe we've we have not done him right as a culture you think so i like him a lot what do you like him in uh barbershop he's incredible in and bandits okay he's incredibly good in bandits is he yes I don't remember him in he's, Bandits. that's the that was his print. look i remember when troy garrity was a big deal yes i remember those two years it's where these it was... it's these three movies it's sunshine the two barbershops no and you're, for, you're forgetting soldier's girl that was his big oh thing, thank you yes. uh which he won a golden globe for yes. i believe or he's nominated um he's the communications off yes. uh, officer yes okay ben, and obviously he's jane fonda's son so he's a, a uh, nippo baby and his father is tom hayden of his, the chicago his, Seven. his father is is not tom hayden it's eddie redmayne in the chicago i'm sorry Seven. i'm sorry movie. his father's eddie redmayne <laughs> hey, uh, how does that work what do you mean no i'm joking he, you know have, did you see the no, chicago seven all right okay eddie redmayne became that part so, so thoroughly that he's that actually fact, troy Garrett. they checked dad. his dna yeah. and Damn. they were like somehow eddie redmayne <laughs> came in your mom commitment i've heard of method yeah it but, was but that, the weirdest that that barbershop soldiers girl. For that guy <laughs> but it was like barbershop soldiers girl. He's yeah. a he's a good looking guy. Everyone was like, well, and he's Hollywood royalty. This yeah. must be a new star. He works. He's working to this day. He did like six seasons of Ballers. I was looking. He was, was on like, Ballers. Where did he go? And it was like, oh, he was on all of Ballers. Oh yeah, uh, Ballers, uh, a show that had six. seasons. He was kind of the yes. Ari Gold of Ballers. He he's Warren, like an he's agent. Them. He's like yes. the big agent okay. on that show. Um, it's not like he doesn't work. But he certainly didn't, whatever, no. pan out as a superstar. It, Pretty much everyone else in this movie is uh, well-known or, as you say, like, just only got more famous. Does like, Icarus right. work? Hmm? Icarus? Burned up um, burned up at the end of the movie. Yeah. yeah. That's even, too bad. Like, someone yeah. like, burned so right. bright. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Someone That's like, how you go out. Someone like Hiroyuki Sonata, who's obviously a huge star in Japan already Yeah. At, by the time this movie came out. This is basically his second English language film after Last Samurai. Yeah. And then after this, he becomes a guy who's in everything. He he's a guy who'll pop in. Right. He's popping. Benedict Wong, we we know him, we love him. Michelle Yeoh, Killian Murphy, Rose Byrne, let Chris me, Evans. Let me give you actually Killian let me Murphy. give you yeah. they got Michelle Yeoh first. Yes. She was the first cast. Everyone they wanted was, her to play the Sonata role originally. 
Everyone, no, well, he says everyone was written, uh, every character, much like Alien, it's like gender no neutral. gender, no yeah. ethnicity, yeah. you know. Um, so maybe they kind of wanted her to be the captain, but she picked Corazon. I, the quote I read was that he had her in mind as the Elder Statesman, the leader, and she said, I don't think I've aged into that part yet. Sure, well, okay, Michelle. In terms fine. of uh, in, yeah, intensity, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever. Not, whatever. not literal age, yeah. Uh, Killian, obviously... 28 days later. Yeah. Rose Bernie's casting off of Troy. She's mm-hmm. very pretty in Troy. Yes. And then he throws her into 28 weeks after this. For yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. Also tired in that one. Mm-hmm. Cliff Curtis had recently done Whale Rider. Mm-hmm. He he's in training day, sort of pops in that thing. Um, I guess Chris Evans and Troy Garrity are a little more just kind of like, well, these are these are guys. These are guys. These are some guys you can and get. Chris Evans certainly everyone wanted yeah. him to be. That, that guy on paper, you're just like, well, this is an obvious leading man. Um, and then, uh, you know, Benny Wong, of course, is sort of notorious for like not having an agent. He's like one of those guys. Yes. So I'm not sure how they get him. He his first movie that I saw him in, not maybe not his first film, but the film I saw him in. He was in this movie called On a Clear Day You Can See Forever. That's a Peter Mullen trying to swim the I English Channel that movie. movie. I never saw it. It's a it's a cute movie, but yeah. he's in that, and he's got such a distinctive look and energy that I was just like, "Well, I remember this Punem," and then this comes out a year he does or two have later. Punem, yeah, um, yeah, he really does. Um, they hadn't thought of Killian initially, he says. Okay, they saw that character as American, mm-hmm. uh, but then they saw him in Batman Begins. Yes. And they thought he did a great job, and his American accent was impeccable. And they thought, why not Killian? It is incredible. And they read him. His accent work in this movie is it's uh, excellent. Unbelievable. He, you know what else I have to say about him? What? Good looking. It it is. Look, anytime him and Rose Byrne are on screen together, they're these two like angelic looking, saucer eyed, round faced the eyes. They're they're both. Eyes they both look so delicate and sad at all times. That just have the two of them be tired sitting around a, a darkly lit table being like, I hope the sun doesn't die. Um, Chris Evans, Fantastic Four. Yes. Yeah. The casting director said, you should see this guy. They loved him. Said he can do anything. Great. Um, they put them into space camp. Yes. Um, Boyles was like, we're going to go method on right. this movie as much as we can. I want these performances to be so lived in in terms of them feeling the the weight of the passage of time, how long they've been on this mission, all being stuck together. He was like, obviously, we can't send them into space, but I'm going to do everything I can to create the circumstances for this to be lived in. And I think they he kept telling them, like, watch how Brian Cox talks about things because they're with Brian Cox, yeah. who's this young, sexy scientist. And he's the way Boyle talks about it, it's like he's so resolute, he's mm-hmm. so like firm in his scientific thought, mm-hmm. and that's how the actors are in this, and the characters are in this movie, right? Like the way everyone talks in this movie, it's the passions get inflamed at times, but like the end of the day, they are like diagnosticians, like that is how they approach problems. It is one of the things I I love so much about this movie, uh, and I'm not I'm not taking body blows to a film that we. Both love David. Okay, which film? But there's the scene that people mock in Interstellar where Romilly takes out the paper and the pen and does the, like, complete illustration of how time works, right? right? And they're like, obviously, it makes sense within the movie. This character was not an astronaut, whatever, right? Um, or or McConaughey's character is not a scientist, I mean. Yeah. Um, 
but it's one of those things where like the movie understands that it now needs to explain to the audience how the thing works. Sure. Yeah. This movie somehow threads this needle of when they are all speaking to each other, there is like no importance put on it. It is a workplace conversation. Mm. Even Mm. when the, the stakes are high, the way they speak about these things are just like, well, this is just their knowledge base. This is their job. This is what you do. This is how you like solve a printer jam or whatever. But yet, every concept is communicated so clearly to the audience. There's no moment where they go into scientific mumbo-jumbo and no. you start zoning out. No, no. I don't think there's... Right. There's not really a... Hmm. I think this movie is incredible in its sort of efficiency at communicating complicated concepts without hand-holding them for the audience, and that you just know the entire time what their mission is, what they need to do, how they need to do it, how it needs to work. Like, it's almost set up like a... Uh, a heist movie. Yeah, sure. Even in terms of just setting up the different rooms of the ship and what everyone's function is, where it's just like all of this, you understand the entire ecosystem of this film, what could go wrong, how it goes wrong, what the possible solutions are, what your endpoint is. And I, I read like Cox in particular was like, Killian Murphy nailed it. This is exactly how physicists talk. Yeah, he says that physicists to this day speak highly of that performance. It Like they're like, he got it right. There's there's something about how natural it is. He doesn't put too much importance on it, but you also believe that he actually knows what he's saying. And he's hot. Brian Cox he's is kind of hot. Killian's hot. Killian in this character, Kappa, also is kind of this weird anti-Ripley. Sure. I would say Chris Evans is kind of the Ripley in this movie. This is my and point. that everything he says is correct. Yes. <laughs> and they don't listen to him. Right, but the whole the whole thing of, like, Alien, right? is, okay, here's Tom Skerritt. He's the biggest star. He's the one acting most like a movie hero. Sure. Who's Ripley? She's sort of the quiet... She's the warrant officer, of course. ...steely, more sensitive one in the corner, right? And then over the course of the movie, she slowly reveals herself to be the protagonist. Right. But, like, part of the arc, and obviously the arc of Ripley across the four movies, is, like, who would have pegged this character to become the badass? From the starting point of Alien, you don't think she's going to become an action hero, right? And Kappa is almost resolutely refusing to be an action hero the entire movie. He is the guy placed at the center of the story who remains, like, the intellectual, emotionally sensitive. Mm -hmm. I think it's so key that his introduction in this movie is him doing the message to his family. And that he's so corny, you know? In a sweet way. But it's like, you know, and and Chris Evans' interaction, his introduction in the film is beating the shit out of Killian Murphy. They're, like, feuding brothers— and Chris Evans is like, I should be the star of this film. Mm. His character is like, I'm clearly, I'm right about everything. He's right. I have the movie star charisma. I have the swagger. I walk in. Sure. And Kappa just sits there the whole time and everyone has to keep pointing at him and being like, but at the end of the day, he is the only one of us who is truly indispensable. Well, but he even has Chris to... Evans does that. He has that yes. moment. Yes. He's like, well, he's the one we actually... That's but what yeah, I like. But, that yeah. it, For all their frustrations with him, they're like, at the end of the day... He's the only person we can't lose. And by default, he has to be the center of this movie. He can work the bomb. He can work the bomb. The payload. They did the plane, the vomit comet. They did the deep sea diving. You know about the vomit comet, right, Ben? They take you up in a plane that goes like this. So you can experience weightlessness. Yeah, That's how Um, they do all the like zero gravity stuff in Apollo 13. Much like train spotting, he had them all live together for two weeks so they could get to know each other. Or Shallow Grave. I think Shallow Grave did that. Um, You know, uh, he wanted them to have the camaraderie, but also kind of the weird sense of like boredom. That yeah. they've been like sort of stuck living in a the boring flat for two years. Weariness is so clever. no one wearing makeup. 
eating dippin' dots. Right? He had him do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he had him. Yeah, they had to eat dippin' dots. <laughs> Gross. Um, <laughs> they didn't shoot it at Pinewood, mm-hmm. which is sort of one of London's big studios. They filmed it somewhere smaller. I don't know okay, where. Okay, but in London. In the UK uh, and whatever. there, It's called Three Mills Studios. Where okay. is that? Let's look it up. Uh, which apparently is like a ridiculous place. It's in Stratford. Sure, it's East London. Um, ridiculous place to make a big sci-fi movie because I think it's quite small. But mm-hmm. he wanted, you know, let's have the crew as small as possible. Let's have everything as, as tiny as possible so we stretch every dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, they uh, have this production design approach that I think is very clever that is very real world everything in this movie basically looks like something we would have now maybe just a little zhuzhed up right Mm -hmm. his his danny boyle's argument is like if you went 50 years ago in london you'd see red buses they don't look the same as our red buses but they look pretty similar like i don't want there to be new things like i want i just want everything to be a little you know futuristic within reach um and even just like, you don't have them on the ship eating weird like future food pills and like everything feels recognizable in their day to day. I life. mean, look, the, so the first I love everything about this movie, correct. but the first 20 minutes. Correct. correct. But the first 20 minutes of this movie, which is the most like we're all just living on this ship together, chatting, figuring things out. There's no chaos yet. Is like some just some of my favorite shit. So you have the communications booth, which is like, you know. Uh, uh, it's like the reality show Big Brother. You go sit in a yeah. chair and talk to a screen. You have the weird kind of like hologram mm-hmm. chamber where you can kind of watch 3D movies. Love that. Love mm-hmm. the way that looks. You got Benedict Wong just like making a stir fry for everybody, yes. right? And he's like, it's chicken today. He's like, yeah, you know, like that's real food. Very alien to me. Alien the movie, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, alien has the cryo sleep thing, right? So our characters are waking up and they're still pretty fresh to this thing. Whereas this movie starts and it's like everyone is just kind of like has been worn down to a nub. As you say, Griff, Killian Murphy and Chris Evans fight. They fight twice in this movie, yes. both times the same way. Yes. This like boyish headlock. Yeah. Both times Michelle Yeoh and Rose Byrne are like, are you done? You know, like, yes. you know, which I love their reaction to it. They're like, well, but mm-hmm. even, all you've done is waste our oxygen with your nonsense. The That's hologram enough. room, right, mm-hmm. is all this like, this sense you get from the beginning of this movie of they really factored psychology into this mission. There are so many things set up on the ship, in the, the chain of command to make sure that these people aren't losing their minds. Right. Because uh, that's the greatest thing. I saw this movie... Paris, France. Okay. La la. I know. Uh, But it came out in Paris in March of 2007. I was in Paris. uh, Is that true? It came out before anywhere else? Uh Uh-huh. All right, I'm looking this up. I'm I'm telling you dead to rights. Okay. It came out March 2007. I was walking around Paris. I see these giant posters that say, Par le réalisateur du 28 days later, eh? train spotting. And have Watto is there? Yes, Watto was okay. reading. He did the voiceover narration, most French trailers at that time. Uh, has this cast on it, right? I think I had not heard of this movie. Okay. I didn't know this film was in development or production. You hadn't seen the trailer? It's March 2007. 
Okay. The trailer was not out, to the best what? of my knowledge. I, well, okay. I don't know what's going on with you, but certainly I lived in Britain. You this, lived in Britain, as we all know. This came out in April 2007 in Britain, and like it was pushed down my throat. It has, it has a great trailer. This came out in Paris in March 2007. Maybe it was the first week of it April. Was, it was April. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it was the first week of April, yeah. my friend. Okay. It was the second, but yeah. You know, early mm. April. Mm. Oh, I'm just looking at IMO. Well, I think you're a liar. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> It was supposed to come out in November in the U.S. Yes, it ends up coming out in July. Yes, Uh, but so there was no marketing. Might have been better to do November. It would have been better. Yeah, there was no marketing in the U.S. at this point in time. I don't Mm. think I knew that this movie existed. I started seeing all these posters with this cast Mm -hmm. on the streets. I was like, "What the fuck is this?" I went to see it. I saw it in a giant screen on like the Champs Elysees, one of those multiplexes there. Uh, no one else was in the theater. I saw the first mm, showing, and I was sure. like, this thing's a fucking masterpiece. And then went back to New York and told everyone, I was like, get ready for this fucking movie, right? Right, right, right. And then, you know, it comes out, it ends up coming out four months later in 10 theaters and bombs and disappears. Bombed so hard in America. Just made no money here. But there were like five or six months. I thought at first it was going to be longer because it wasn't going to be until November, right? Where I was just hyping this movie up to people. And one of the things I would say to my friends and telling them why this movie was good was it's the one movie that actually gets what gets right what it's like to be in space for that long. Right. And my right, friends would say, right. what do you talk? What do you mean? Like you have any personal knowledge of that? Yeah. What do you know about being in space? The fuck are you talking about? And I was like, I don't know how to put it, but I watched this movie. And from the first scene of them all sitting around the table, you just feel the energy of these people have been here for years. Yep. They will be here for years beyond that. They basically are all like, you know, outside of little tensions. They're all basically on the level They're fine friends with each other. or whatever. They but, respect like, each other. They pretty much worn through every conversation they could possibly have. Mm. You know, originally Rose Byrne and Killian Murphy were supposed to have a romance in this movie, which I wish they had shot and sent the footage only to me. Mm. Uh, but okay, Danny Jeff Boyle was. was like, I think they're past sex at this point. Yeah, which I can imagine. I think it works against the energy of the movie of the hologram room. Look, I think they all jerk off in the hologram room, but I think if you're on this mission, the idea of even with all the hotties looking around and being like, should I sleep with them? It's just like, what am I doing here? Like everyone is just kind of like clocking in, you know, getting it done. Yes. Uh, Okay. Here's some things, please. Design choices. Mm Mm-hmm. No white suits uh, for the astronauts, obviously. Gold samurai armor, I was essentially. Say, the samurai armor. Brilliant choice by them. But samurai armor that meets like um, a diving suit. Right. right. And like, like the a, hurt locker, like bomb disposal. Absolutely. Suit. Totally. Yes. Absolutely. The fact uh, that they're in those like, things, yeah, I like think a were, diving belt. were insane. Yes. I think like they were hard to make. It was brutal to be inside of them. At one point, you know, Hiroyuki Sonata basically just, like, freaked out, and they had to, like, get him out of there. Like, you know, it sounds like it was a nightmare. The way he shoots inside of those. Oh, it's so good, but they're like, and then you see them, like, sucking on the straw. There's, like, some water in there. Yeah. Uh, Adam Savage of of Mythbusters, who now does YouTube videos where he mostly shows off film props and either his own collection or goes to other people who have the original costumes or props. Complete coincidence, just, like, a week ago, posted a video of this suit. He went to the guy who owns this suit and is just sort of studying it and the make of it and all of that. And it's a fascinating video. I recommend that people watch. Sure. 
Uh, yeah, there's only two of them that they made, I think. Like, there may be three total. Mm-hmm. Um, the reflective gold. I mean, the whole... That aesthetic of this movie of, like, they need to deflect and reflect the energy of the sun in other directions as much as possible. Um, when you're in the ship, mm-hmm. inside the ship. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you're outside, there's yon sun, which is big, bright, and yellow. Mm-hmm. Inside, two scoops of sunglasses. Everything is painted blue, gray, green. There's nothing orange, yellow, or red. There's no strawberries, no oranges, nothing in that color hue at all. You, I wanted you to be in this like blue, gray, steel blue world. So when you go outside, you flush the audience with this color palette of the sun. It's like a man dying of thirst and you drown him in cold water is how he puts it. Which is Here, very colorful language. Here's a take for me. Mm. I think this movie is almost as good at using color to convey temperature as do the right thing. It's the uh, the trick that he just described totally works. Incredible. Yes. It, this is a movie where you actually feel when things are hot and when things are cold and when things are neutral. Um, which yeah. is the, kind of the most important thing he needs to sell in terms of the tension of the thing. Um, the way he talks about making this movie is that everyone hated everyone at the end of it. Perfect. It was a nightmare to make. Great. The way Danny Boyle puts it is like he has this quote where he says, Ang Lee, the great Ang Lee, mm-hmm. says directors aren't particularly nice people. I know what he means now. I'm not an unpleasant person, but you have to be merciless and push people very hard. And then later he says, like, I fell out with everybody. You have to be so uncompromising. I would never make a sequel to this movie. You know, basically just, like, awful. I have no interest in ever doing a sci-fi again. It's funny. He never yeah. works with any of these people again. Right? But now, of course, now. Now he would. Now he and Killian are sort of like, oh, we'll do another 28 days. Right. Like, there, there is. A, but, yeah, does he not He doesn't work do with- another Garland movie. He doesn't work with any of this cast again. Right? Jeez, I mean, but he eventually he recommends Rose Byrne for the movie he's producing. I get, my big question is: Did he didn't even really work with Andrew McDonald for a long time after no. this? No, until Transpotting Two. This yeah. is like it feels like everyone it needs. Like, okay, I don't want to look at you. For but a that's while. that's the fucking energy in the movie. It's the dynamic between the characters that like. There's that great story with fucking Nashville. That okay. Robert Altman put the entire cast, which, you know, is 80 people all in the same, like, shitty motel by the side of the road. Okay. And was like, everyone gets paid the same amount of money. Everyone is here every day for the entire run of show because I want to be able to, in the moment, decide who gets added to a scene or removed from a scene. So everyone was just, like, kind of crappy accommodations there for three or four months filming. And then Karen Black they let shoot out all of her stuff in like four days and paid her more money and put her in the nice hotel Mm, in downtown Nashville. And it was like, because I want all of them to hate her. Yeah, I mean, you always hear about those tricks like Matt Damon not doing boot camp with the guys in San Francisco. They all just like, fuck you. Yeah. You didn't have to suffer like we did. And it doesn't feel like it was a conscious thing, but the the tensions that arose in making this film, the difficulty making this film, just seeps into the DNA. The sweatiness, the like, yeah, the exhaustion, it's all on screen. Um, some clever, just a final, we'll do the plot in a sec, but some clever little tidbits. When they're in the sun room, looking at the sun, that's a real rig that they built that's like fucking shooting so much light at them. Because he was like, I want this to feel real. I don't want it to be CGI. Like, I want them to really like, you know, be dealing with that. When Chris Evans is in like the forest, they went to a forest and shot it. He was like, I don't want to like CG this shit. I want it to look like proper. There's a lot of practical effects in this movie. There's a lot of or uh, using non-digital processes to get some of the light qualities and all of that. There's a lot of model work. 
Um, but the other thing is, and I just, once again, not having seen this film in a while after having seen it so many times in a short number of years, it is crazy to me how much you can feel the influence of this film on the last 10 years of space movies, mm. considering that this movie was such a flop. Where I'm just like, I see things in Gravity, Prometheus, Interstellar, like all of these, The Martian. It feels like this kind of reinvigorated the serious space movie for another generation, which then became this run of very successful films. There are some huge hits. Martian, Interstellar. Gravity. Gravity. Arrival, you know, is ground-based, yeah. but, you know, that's like sort of smart sci-fi. Prometheus and Covenant. Ad does Astra. way better than this movie. Yeah, it wasn't absolutely. like a massive hit, but it made over $100 million worldwide. You and know, all like, these sort of major directors, and I do think they're... Lucy in the Sky. No, I'm kidding. But, like, where was the... the Prometheus, obviously, is yes. after this. You know, I feel like there's, you know, life, like, even yeah. trash like that. The moment he's making this movie... The Midnight Sun Sky? What was that well, thing called? Well, sure, the Clone 8. The moment he's making this film, you're pretty much in the fallout of like Red Planet, Mission to Mars. Sure, there's fear. Those, yeah, those early late nineties, early two thousands right. that don't work. Mission to Mars is probably, I mean, Star Trek Abrams is a year after this, uh, and that's two. It's oh nine. It's two years after this. I can't. Yeah. Okay. Um, yes, and that's the opposite of this movie. I love that movie. fun, poppy, but, but it's yes. fun and glossy. Apple and, Store, you know, yeah, Apple Store, exactly. Yes. Wally, you know, there's stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Like there is the a few years later, you start to see. And I'm sure if I fucking talk to Christopher Nolan, and I'd like to, yes. and he can call me. And yeah, my I number see. is this. Same. Just put my number in. Yeah. Alex. Okay. Um, and uh, and I said like, you see Sunshine, you're like because Killian, yeah, that's one of your guys, of yeah. I'm sure no one likes I'm sure. this movie. I'm sure. What and if I, he doesn't? I even, like, like for how much this... Sun could I, I would punch him in the dick if he said he didn't like this movie. Uh, for how much this film is clearly indebted to Alien, I feel like there's a lot in Prometheus and Covenant that comes from this. There might be. I don't know. It felt like... Fuck it, off! Well, Ridley Scott's here. Fuck off! This movie feels like Danny Boyle, like, shaking up the space movie and resetting it for the next 15 years. Yeah. To some... Well, Degree? Well, he's a really good director. He's a really People good director. Take him more seriously. My point I was going to make specifically is in my opinion. Yeah. His whole thing of like, I don't want them reacting to nothing, right? When Prometheus is being made, people were like, this is genius. Ridley Scott has revolutionized uh, the filmmaking game. Mm. I, you know, you watch interviews with Fassbender and Theron and they talk about this. He like did all the visual effects in advance. So that when they are they in the ship, right. they're surrounded by screens. Right. So that rather than looking at a blue screen, having to imagine it, it's like, that's what it looks like. That's Outside the window, like that's the what it's going to look like. Right. And Danny Boyle is like the first one I know of to basically do a version of that on this film. They didn't have the budget to be able to do like fully rendered CGI. But what you're talking about of like, we're going to put a really bright light here. We're going to go to the forest. Mm. I want to like deprive this movie of people having to look at nothing. There will be something that is at least a reasonable facsimile of what they should be seeing. And he would create practical effects or project images or whatever it was where it's just like there's that tangibility to this fucking thing. It doesn't feel like anyone is having to imagine. The film is set in 2057. Sun is dying. The sun is dying. Earth is freezing. One mission to restart the sun didn't work. We don't Fuck. know why. Here's the sequel. Icarus so, 2. So last shot, Icarus 2. Now. An ironic Which, name. I was going to say. 
much like calling this film Sunshine's a mistake, maybe don't call your plane your your spaceship Icarus. Yeah, Icarus. You know, he didn't make it. The sun got his. He, he he in fact been the legend is flew too close to the sun. Right. So maybe you just call it something else. You know, whatever. Sun Slayer. Yeah. Right. That's good. That's pretty good. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it is a good question if. This movie was released under the title Icarus, and the mission was Project Sunshine or whatever. Sure. That makes sense. The Sunshine. Yeah. The USS Sunshine. Right. It may, it would make sense for them to call the ship the Sunshine or the mission Sunshine. That would make more sense. Yes. But, no, it's the Icarus 2. Mm-hmm. It is a giant solar shield made of gold. Behind that, a bomb the size of the fucking island of Manhattan or yes. whatever they say. And then behind that, this long, spindly ship that's just like the International Space Station. Right? It's just a bunch of modules, right? Bedrooms, uh, hologram rooms. It's a railroad apartment. Uh, it's a great, uh, exactly. Yes. It's got a, you but know, you it's the, got the, plant, the oxygen plant room. room yeah. Right. The, the garden. What else do you think they got in there? I don't know. Planet sure. Fitness, right? Sure, oh, basketball like, court, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just look at how quickly this movie sets up everything right you have like truly two sentences from killian murphy voiceover a bit of voiceover right which a lot of these movies would do that for the first 10 minutes mm. basically what's the bare minimum he needs to say to you our son was dying and how had... did i end up in this situation right. i bet you're what wondering. He said that bet you're wondering yeah there's only Record one scratch. physicist who knows how to work the bomb freeze frame <laughs> oh it's like the sun is dying our mission was to drop a bomb off and restart it great done and then just very quickly you're like meet everyone Everyone has a distinct vibe. Everyone has a distinct job. Here are all the different rooms on the ship. It does such a good job of setting up. You don't need the spatial geography of where the rooms are in relation to each other that much, but you need to know what every room is. You got Kappa, played by Killian Murphy, the physicist. Bright blue eyes. Mace, played by Chris Evans, the engineer. Badass. But he's, he's scrawny. Yeah, I mean he's got he's got an all right body. I of don't know, course, you know. but I'm seeing compared, compared to, to now fucking what he looks like now. He's like a goddamn Especially lump. before they well, get him the haircut. Stanley Tucci hadn't, you know, gotten his hands on him yeah, yet. They, no super, super soldier to serum. Yeah. Um Cassie, played by Rose Byrne, the pilot. Bossy brown face. Tired brown face. So tired. Her face isn't particularly the hottest performance. She's so beautiful. So tired. Corazon, played by Michelle Yeoh, the biologist. Mm. Love a biologist. Mm-hmm. Searle, played by Cliff Curtis, the psychologist. Ben thumbs slash up. doctor. If I there's like ever Cliff. been a Ben character. I love this guy. I mean, I love him as an actor Cliff, so of course, much. was Tanawari in Avatar The Way of Water. Of he course. was the head of the Makaina tribe. very good. Yep. In that film. Told them not to uh, communicate with a Piacon. I don't know if you've heard of Piacon, the outcast Tolkien. You know, I mean, he, he broke their natural laws, but, you know, there's a reason for it. I'm sorry. I was bringing this up apropos of nothing. <laughs> okay. I was doing some Rose Byrne Wikipedia checking. Rose Byrne, of course, now married to Bobby Cannavale, the hottest, the hottest in the game. Uh-huh. Wow! Yeah, right? they're a hot couple, unbelievable couple. Uh, but I saw there was like someone Rose Byrne was previously listed as being in a relationship with for six years, I think oh. from 2004 to 2010. And I was like, "Who is this?" And they were like Australian actor. And I was like, "Who's this Australian actor that she was with for six years?" Lee Scoresby himself from Avatar The Way of Water. Rose Byrne used to date the shitty whaler who gets his fucking arm chopped Brent, off Brendan by Brendan Cow. Oh, no, fuck. No. Lee Scoresby 
is the cowboy from his Dark Materials that Lin Manuel Miranda it. His name is Scoresby. His name is Scoresby. Nick Scoresby, apparently. Dark. Although I don't, I don't remember anyone saying his first name in no. that movie. Scoresby. He's, Scoresby. He's the one who's always like, "I've got quotas. I've got quotas, baby." Isn't that funny to just yeah. imagine that couple made up of these two sci-fi characters? <sighs> just tired Rose Byrne being like, "Please don't kill him," and being like, "Let's get that fucking whale juice." Yeah, I mean, yeah. Here, there's tons of pictures if you want to see him. Yeah, yeah. They they dated for years. Look, weird couple. Uh. You've got Troy Garrity as Harvey, the communications officer. He's the wet blanket. We're not supposed to like him. We're not. And then Hiroyuki Sanada Mm -hmm. as Kaneda, the captain. Yes. Who just is fucking like just radiating captain energy. He's so good at it. Um, And then Benedict Wong as Trey, who's listed here as the navigator. Yeah, he's Mm -hmm. the navigator. Yeah, Yeah, he's the one who does all the... He has one job. And he's got one job and he fucks it up. He doesn't you know, do a good job. No. Um, there, that's it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel like there's anyone missing here, no. right? You're not like, why don't they have an X? And and no one's doubled up. It's a good breadth of jobs. No one feels like a redundancy, right? You know. Um, and uh, well, who's in charge of fun? Who who's the captain of fun? Yeah. Who do you think the most fun person? I- <laughs> No one is that fun. No one's fun. No. I, I, as we've said, everyone feels very worn out. I think Evans thinks he's fun, but he's so aggro. He's the only one who's still got energy. But when I appre- he has energy, but yeah. he doesn't make stupid jokes. No. There's no point at which he's doing dumb, look-to-the-camera kind of jokes. Yeah. And Chris Evans had just done tons of that, obviously, in Fantastic Four. He's in a not-another-teen movie where he had done that kind of stuff. So can I throw this out? You could see him doing some witticisms. Can I throw this out? No! You can't. Please, I beg of you, All right, let me. fine, go ahead. Okay. Absolute conjecture on my part. Supported by nothing. Okay. I think this is the performance that got him Captain America. I have to believe that someone at some chain of Marvel, this is the one. Because everything he was doing up until this point, as you said, was very jokey. It was hot shot, little shit, quip a minute, right? He was sort of like baby Ryan reynolds ing. Uh, that's Johnny Storm's whole thing. But as you said, not another teen movie. He's like a parody of a yeah, handsome he's guy. A handsome, he was on this Fox jock. sitcom I used to watch with Milo Ventimiglia called uh, uh, Opposite Sex. Yeah. Where he was at an all girls school. And it's that was his whole thing was being like sort of like a smug Lothario thing. When they announced that he was the front runner for Captain America, and this was probably the year after this in 2008 or nine, sure. that he's being shortlisted for the part. Everyone's response was, uh, well, that's weird because he already played Human He's Torch. already played a Marvel character. And also, this guy's too jokey, too right. smug, too sarcastic. Captain, Captain America supposed to be this square. Really earnest. Yeah, you know. Yeah. There's that self-seriousness to Captain America that this guy can't sell. And I immediately went, that's great casting because I've seen fucking Sunshine. Mm. And Sunshine was, even though I think he is the bright spot of those Fantastic Four movies... When I saw this movie, basically from the moment he enters yeah. on he screen. He does have more of the energy that he will do in the, uh, you know, in the Captain America I wasn't movies. calling. A sort of like solid. Yes. You know, resolute yes. guy. Yeah. I, I didn't. It's not like he came on screen and I went, oh, this guy's going to play Captain America. But he came on screen and I went, holy shit, this guy's a movie star. Mm. I thought this guy was charismatic and funny. Do you prefer him with the long hair? Are you sad well, when he cuts wig. it? To- He's sad when he cuts it. I think I would like him with actual long hair. Yeah. I think the wig's a little crummy. I like the idea of the long hair, though, yes. that, like, they've just been kind of, like, goofing off because it's like, you know, but now that it's like we're close to the sun, it's like, all right, all right, I'll get a haircut, right? Let's. And you, you know, need yeah. the reset of this guy coming in with, like, kind of renewed, lean yeah, 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 vigor. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, yeah, I just remember watching this and like his uh, his stoicism. He's so good in the silent moments of this film. Just the sort of like energy he's got bottled the entire time. For a guy who was being such a fucking like line, rapid fire delivery dude in all these movies, being so smug and glib and doing it well, I was like, oh, this guy's got like a basement. This guy's got actual depth as an actor. And I think, yeah, the the whole modern Chris Evans run doesn't happen unless someone gives him a part like this. Uh, I agree with that. Maybe that is Kevin Feige's... Maybe if I sat him down, maybe he would say, well, you know what? I loved him. Maybe it was Sarah Haley Finn. Maybe it was Joe Johnson. I don't know whom. But I just have to imagine someone watched this movie and went, hear me out. There's a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Evans. Um, Icarus 2 is going towards um, Mm -hmm. the sun. Mm -hmm. There's an observation deck. Searle has gotten a little obsessed with pumping up the uh, volume in the observation deck. Great idea. You have your opening narration. Then you cut to this great establishing shot of the ship. And then the first character you're actually seeing is Searle. I love that it's your introduction to actual humanity in this movie. Right. Is Searle sitting in the observation deck. Like, you've set up the conflict of this movie. And then he's not your main character. But the first thing we're seeing is how fucking insane the sun is. The observation deck is, where is it on the ship? I'm not exactly... Is it the front? Is it the front most of the ship? Yeah. I think so. Don't worry about it. Okay. I mean, you see it. You see there are shots of, like, this one little window. You know, you you see it from the exterior. It's like there's the shield, there's the bomb, and then the first... But module it, is, I, I guess, question the observation if it's within the shield. I think it has to be within the shield. It's or like a through tiny the shield window somehow. within that shield. You have to just yeah. accept that this thing exists because it doesn't make sense. Yes. Yeah. Because, like, well, why didn't they build the whole fucking ship out of whatever this thing is? <laughs> yeah. You know, like. Sure. But I think you just kind of have to be like, well, there's just one panel of the shield that is transparent somehow. Which is such or a good dynamic to set up from the very beginning of like. Right. The the power of this thing is truly awesome. Now, look, right? This is an awe-inspiring thing. If you were this close to the sun, if you were on this mission, you would be so captivated by getting closer to the sun than anyone had before and just setting it up with this edging. Sun is big. This guy just Huge. sits here every day with his fucking aviator sunglasses on and toes the line with a computer voice and goes like, can you show me a little bit more? Hmm. And the fact that she's immediately like, if I gave you four, what what's the level right now? It's two percent. Give me four percent. If I give you four percent, you die. I can give you three point one for thirty seconds. Yeah, I can give you three point one for thirty seconds. What a yes. good four, starting four point will blind you. to yes. just be like, holy shit! Right, the sun is intense. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. But this guy is like addicted. Yeah, well, I would I would probably like to do that as well. And he, here he is with his sunglasses. Well, you're gonna look and you're at fucking like, Benedict Wong all day. He's a handsome guy, but come on. Is this guy the is this guy the wild man on ship? No, he walks out of this room and you're like, he's the psychologist. Right. He's he, the one who's supposed to be making sure that no one else is going crazy. I think it's sort of like he's Cliff Curtis talks about it. I will I also should say there's this commentary you can listen to on the DVD of Brian mm-hmm. Cox, the physicist. And they might meant I listened to it long ago. I haven't in a while. They might talk about stuff like that. Like, where's this, where's this room supposed to be? How would that, you know, they try to talk through the science. But Boyle also talks a lot about he was like, as much as it's science possible, I'm going to make the concessions that work for the stylization of the movie. They all move in slow motion when they're in space, even though that's not really realistic because it looks wrong to audiences if they move too fast. Right? Right. I'll do the whooshing sounds when the ships are flying by. Even though there's a vacuum of sound in space, 
Like he's some of the stuff you have to do, even if it goes against the science. There's certain right, certain leaps that you just have to accept. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, no one floated though and squirted liquid into their mouth. No, there's no floating. They're all there's gravity. Drinking juice in the air. What you're saying? That's there's a like huge droplets of juice, yeah. and you go. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Cup. Yep. Um, obviously, like a movie like Gravity. That's yeah. like we're gonna make this in the real strictures of like mm-hmm. that's how it is in space. You're they floating. shot it in space, right? Yeah, I mean, just they had to spend a lot of money making everyone so float expensive. around in that fucking movie. And in this movie, it's like, yep, there's technology that makes you not float anymore. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. um, they're going to the sun. Yes, Searle is getting a little addicted to looking at it. Yes, mm-hmm. Chris Evans and Killing Murphy are a little. They got they got brothers testosterone. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's this sort of like they're about to cross this sort of barrier where they're so suffused by the sun's radiation that they can't send communication. So it's kind of like that weird. If you got a message you want to send, you might want to do it now because you know. another great. I mean, there's setup. the they are ostensibly supposed to be coming back. Yeah, but everyone clearly is fairly resigned to like, look, we may not. And the first mission failed. The first mission failed, and they don't know why. Yeah. And like. You know, there's this sort of... And if they failed this mission, there's no there to go back to. There's like, you know, this is one of those movies where Boyle had everyone sit down and write out character biographies for themselves and stuff. Like, And the idea is supposed to be that they were picked because they don't have, you know, a yearning for home. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't have family connections that they're too worried about or whatever. And Troy Garrity's character is supposed to be the one who actually they kind of fucked up and he kind of does because he's yes. the only one who's like, what do you mean we can't get home? I love that it's unspoken. It's unspoken, but like it's there. Like he's the only one who's kind of nervy you keep about waiting it. for him to have the scene where he's like, you don't understand. He's my like daughter. stroking a picture. Right. Yeah. It's so great that it's just it's kind of just fundamental in his being. Um, but just another piece of like such fucking efficient um, uh, character building. Right. That it's like our introduction to Killian Murphy is him doing the video message. Basically the thing that like Interstellar takes like an hour and a half to build to. Right. You're leading with the emotion of this guy and who he misses. But also the emotional intelligence of him saying like, look, I don't have a lot of time. You're not going to send me another message, but don't worry. I know everything you want to say. Right. 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 In this very empathetic way. He's like, it can be unspoken. I get it. I understand. I can imagine what you would be saying to me. And this guy gets caught up in the emotion of the thing. This is now the first track of the score that gets reused a lot. This movie mm-hmm. is notorious for its score being reused in other things. Yeah. Um, but this opening sort of very dreamy, emotional theme that plays under Killian Murphy's video message. And then you basically cut to Chris Evans has him in a headlock. Yeah. Killian Murphy took too long. Took too long. Now I mean, no I'd one else mad. gets a message. Yeah, I'd be fucking mad. It just says so much about like the the sensitivity of Killian Murphy. Chris Evans only knowing how to vent his frustration through violence when his frustration is, you didn't let me tell my mom how much I love her or whatever, you know? Right. Um, so, they're going to the sun. Mm-hmm. They're passing through the radiation you know, barrier or whatever. They're losing communication. And then they start hearing... Mm-hmm. Well, first they see Mercury, which is a scene I love, where mm-hmm. they're actually having fun. They all sit down on the observation it's deck. Presentation. And Canada is like, look, Mercury. Because yeah. Mercury is this tiny little planet yeah. that's very close to the sun, revolving around it. Weird little place. And Mercury, you see it. You see the surface. Mm-hmm. Mercury is this kind of metallic planet. Yeah. It's got like it's got a this metal dense surface. Dense metal core. And, and the surface to, is probably rocks, but like they it's put very the heavy metal on it. core. Yeah. 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 They put the fruit. 
And um, Orson Welles is there doing Mercury yes. Theater. Yes. I don't know. What are some other Mercury things? Um, and that is the like sort of internal antenna that amplifies things for them. Mm-hmm. And they start hearing this creepy noise. Please, I now ask, put the noise in right here. The distress mm. beacon yes. noise. I think it's it a is, good noise. I think it is one noise. of the most effective yes. little pieces of sound design. 100% You hear it agree, so yeah. many times while they're sort of like pondering, what do yeah. we do, what do we do? And it's like this abstract like cry. It sounds like a whale noise or something. Yeah. But it feels like, you know how there's like different ambulance sounds from across the sure. like world? There's yeah. different like emergency broadcast noises. Mm-hmm. There's something about this alarm that it's just like, I've never heard this in another right. movie before. It's so no, unique and, to and this. And once again, this is, this is a, a trope of these types of films. We have seen this beat so many times. This is the inciting incident of so many of these types of films, especially, as we said, so many of these movies that have come out in the 15 years since this film of like, they're on a mission. They get a weird broadcast. The question becomes, do you follow the broadcast and roll the dice, or do you stick to the original plan? Now, here's my only complaint about this movie. Yeah. They just shouldn't do it. They shouldn't do it. And everything that goes wrong is because they do it. Of course. But I love that. But I it's love tempting. the classic, yeah. you make one mistake that cannot be undone, and the rest of the movie is you trying to dig yourself out of a hole right. that keeps on getting deeper and deeper right. and deeper. This is the other area in which I think... Gravity must have had some influence on this movie, although I know that film was in development for a long time. Mm. But the build of this movie and the fact that so much of it takes place in close to real time, you know, it's not actually presenting real time in the same way Gravity is, but it does feel like the events happen in a very condensed Wait, period. Wait, how, how would Gravity have an impact on this film? I'm saying the opposite. Oh, 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 okay, all right, okay, yes, yeah, go ahead. I, I Gravity has that Rube Goldberg machine effect of everything that goes then wrong this, affects the this, next. She this. tries to fix this and it leads to sure, another sure, problem, sure. whatever. And I think this movie just has a similar tightness while not trying to be like, know, this is... just You're so frustrated because you're like, ah, you shouldn't have done that. Of course. And then Chris Evans is always there being like, shouldn't have done that. Well, and I love that they, you know, it's... Chris Evans wants to make it a vote. Right. Yeah. And, Cl- and Cliff Curtis is like, this isn't a democracy where scientists will figure it out. Right. He's the main scientist. He's the physicist. He's the one yeah, who gets Kappa the choice. Gets to pick. Right. right. Kaneda, Kaneda gives the choice to Kappa. Kappa is like, don't make me choose. Right. I don't What's your answer? Right. It's a coin toss. Right. So if you flip the coin, what would you say? Yeah. And you can see in real time him making this decision that he knows. Like the fact that it's not a decision made in confidence. He's not being punished for his hubris. Right. It was, it was truly a coin toss. And they're flip. not trying to save anyone. No. There's no, like, well, the what happened to those guys? I mean, they want to know. The logic is... But they're not like, we got to help them. They're the logic like, is really simple, bomb. which is the first team failed. They have a bomb that wasn't used. Right. We have one bomb. I guess there's that element of, like, maybe if we go over there, we'll also see what went wrong for them. So we, whatever, you know, whatever happened I think happened there's that, but course, they're also just, like, that gives us two bites at the apple. Yeah, that I mean, gives us a backup plan. Yeah, I don't know. That's what they say. That's what they say. Which we could use yeah. versus stay the course. Just stay the course. Something I question is, is like Cyril starting to get a little possessed by the sun? Yes. yes. Like the idea is that he's part like of the mirror yeah, image. Decision? He's the mirror yes. image of Pinbacker is right. how Cliff Curtis kind yeah. of puts it in interviews. Like, you know, obviously Pinbacker, 
Mark Strong's villain. He got consumed by the sun in some crazy way. And he, he becomes a sun wild. fundamentalist. Right. A sun fundamentalist. <laughs> a sun fundamentalist. Uh, and yeah, maybe Searle's not going to kill everyone on the ship, but he similarly is kind of getting obsessed there's a, with there's the There's a sun. mania kicking in. Yeah. I mean, this is, you talk about the third act turn, right? And Boyle, what was, let me find the exact phrasing he used here. But he was basically like, he likes having these elements in his movies that disrupt the reality. Sure. Right? And usually Boyle is a very um, uh, impressionistic filmmaker. He's not trying to present reality as it is. He's using very loud cinematic language. He's Mm. using very visible editing and cinematography and music to like evoke a feeling rather than making his craft invisible, you know, in service of just the story. I think in a lot of ways, this is his most muted and grounded film Mm. in that the only time he starts using cinematic language in that way is basically when Pinbacker comes in. And Pinbacker is basically, I know I'm jumping ahead here, but it's like this thing that cannot be filmed. Yeah, that which I love. Right. The, the camera can't even look at him. And I think, yeah. I think you know, it's like... Yeah, he, I, was, I, was gonna, I don't think you can call this film muted. I got it. I got it. It's not. Within the Boyle canon, I'm saying only. Yeah. It's not muted. Yeah. Within yeah. the Boyle canon, I'm saying that's what's wild about it is his, his style is so much more extreme in most of his films. The point I want to make here is that... He's like, Pinbacker is the thing, for me, the equivalent of, like, the baby in Trainspotting, right? sure. And I think Trainspotting does the baby, it does going through the toilet at, like, minute five. Yeah. Whereas this movie sets you into reality and then shakes it up. But it is set up from the very beginning, as you said, with Cliff Curtis's character, because I don't think he believes that the sun is actually supernatural. But I do think he's getting at this thing of, like, here are scientists in the future who think that they can combat the way of nature, right? That they can correct. The way of nature, the way of the universe. Yes. Mm. This is like, maybe we're just supposed to die now. This right. is the universe running its course. And they're like, we have advanced to a point where we could actually make this a choice. And we can reverse this. And the closer they get to the sun, the more it starts to warp their brains, not on a supernatural level, but on the level of like, it is impossible to comprehend this thing. You know, like the closer they get, the more you're the guy who sits in the observation with the sunglasses and just looks at it, the less reality makes sense to you. Mm. The less your small life makes sense. The more you start feeling like there's, there's things I just don't understand. There's here. this moment where Cap is trying to figure it out. What mm-hmm. should I do? And the computer is basically saying like, at a certain point, I can't guess anymore. Yeah. You know, you get this close to the sun, and then like it's either the There's probability too many is too variables. insane, yeah, right. And that's what's happening to them. They're all Great. getting crazier and less predictable, and tired, especially because they're clearly. scientists, yes, right. They're so like logical. They're so like analytical. Like the and and this is something that is just like yeah, completely out of comprehension. Yes, a great computer voice in this movie. Incredible it toes a perfect line between. Mm having some personality but not feeling like Shipo Chung is the name of really the actress good. this is her first film yes yeah um, she's done a lot of stuff since she's done some stuff since yeah. uh, a lot of TV mm-hmm. um, so they decide to go to the Eucharist one but oh. Benedict Wong's character Trey um, 
does all the calculations right and plots their course correctly, but forgets to adjust the sun shield. It's like one tiny fucking mistake. Uh, and it's the sun, sun sh- the the sun shield. Uh, I wouldn't call it tiny. Yeah, it's like the. It, you know, because, I would say it's a huge. Because you know, there's some debate in this. I movie. would argue it has some negative consequences. He, in mm-hmm. this film, he mm-hmm. kills himself. Right. Yes. He and there's some debate in the movie later Pinbacker kill over him? whether Pinbacker killed yeah. him. And I was like, last night I was kind of sort of you know clicking around, entertaining the articles. Idea. Sure, uh, because Pinbacker at that point's on a rampage anyway. Mm-hmm. And one guy was like, yeah, but remember this guy made a fuck up so bad that he doomed humanity yes. forever. That might weigh on you. That might be enough to just make you, especially after yeah. two years or four years, however long they've been. In this fucking mission, like going like completely crazy, like getting so stressed out about it. Yeah, that might that might cause you to crack. So this whole dynamic is so good. And it's one of those things where you're like, I can't believe a sci-fi movie hasn't used this before. Of like, the guy makes the fucking error. He doesn't carry the one, right? right? right. He dooms them. He is now like in a catatonic state of depression. Right. And very quickly you set up this thing of like, we don't have enough oxygen. If he died, it would help us. Yeah. We don't want to kill him. But maybe we don't need happen. to do anything to stop him from killing himself. The, just the weird hushed tones with which they talk about it almost immediately where they're like, well, we're all furious at this guy. There's some sympathy. There's some empathy, but also like hard not to be furious. Hard not to feel. They a only have one job. All their lives are expendable. That's how they're thinking about things. So they're inhumane in a way about all this stuff. Benny Wong plays that moment so well. His breakdown in the explanation. I forgot. Because like, how do you even say that? He you forgot know, this, to adjust like, the sunshine. Irreversible mistake. Yes. So it burns out a couple things, right? Fucks mm-hmm. them up. They have to go out to adjust manually. Which, I mean... It's never a good sign. But I just love a spacewalk. Oh. And obviously these suits are great. Yes. There's this... Inc- so the score is by Underworld, you know, the band... With John Murphy. And then, well, but first Underworld watched the movie and improvised music over it. Cool. And John Murphy comes in. He does the orchestral stuff. Okay. The, you know, you know yeah. the theme that got ripped off. But the Underworld, like, crunchy electronic music that's playing while they're, like, you know, trying to fix the, yeah. the shield. They, the, the weird little lights that pop up. I love those things. Oh, the, like, yeah. balloon light. They're like a octopus-looking yes. kind of thing. Um, yes. Um, all that is great. Um, and this is, I guess, this is the first, Kaneda is the first guy to die. Yeah. Because it's so effective while they're doing this. Uh, what the communications tower burns mm-hmm. up and that burns up the oxygen garden, things start to go crazy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, there's the moment. Well, because uh, uh, Evans, why am I forgetting Evans' character's name? Mace. Mace, I keep on wanting to say Cage, uh, because Cage doesn't need the MCU. Um, Mace, uh, volunteers Kappa. Yes, he's he like, does. if someone has to go fix it, it needs to be Kappa because Kappa, I'm not letting go of Kappa being the problem here. Yeah, it's kind of a dick move. He's still angry at Kappa for basically the chain of events that leads to Benedict Wong's mistake. Right. Uh, Trey's mistake. Uh, so he volunteers him, but then uh, Sonata is like, oh, I'm, no, I understand I need to make the sacrifice here. Right. He's not going out alone. It has to be two of us. I'm the captain. It's my responsibility. Right. And then one of us is going to have to stay behind to hold this down. Once again, Kappa is the one who needs to stay alive. We need to make sure he is the one still standing at the time when the payload has to be dropped. Yeah, because basically the Icarus starts to move the shield back towards its original alignment. Yeah. And they're like, well, let's just turn that off. And Mace is the one who's like, we can't do that. We have to fix the shield. Like, you know, we have to protect the ship and all that. And like you say, yeah, Canada can die. He doesn't have any purpose. And they're all He's getting, just the captain. Who they're cares? all getting emotional and worked up. And Mace is like, 
no, this is what needs to... He's got that sort of resolve of like, you guys don't get it. None of us We just are shooting this goddamn thing into the sun. That's the whole plan. We cannot make calculations based on human emotions. Um, how do you feel about Canada dying where like the fire is like going well, up the shield and he's also, like blah, blah, blah. the number one moment is Cliff Curtis getting in his ear what do you see it's so good that he's so jealous that this guy's right. gonna get to see it at full blast the one thing he wants to hear is what it feels what like what does it look like it bright bright ah! <laughs> and Cliff Curtis has started Hot. peeling at this point they've now yeah, started he's putting like a prosthetic blistery. like gold member flakes that he's like yeah, 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 taking yeah. off he's having foot. an unfortunate smelting accident right but he's yeah he's in he's in stage one of full pinbacker he is like going turkey yes he's going turkey mode yes uh it's, it's such a good sequence i just think it's you you know you said david the the score that everyone rips off in this movie mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so often there are like bits of film score that get reused a lot in trailers or in movies. They work as good shorthand, but you very quickly hear, especially in final films, like, oh, they must have used this as a temp track and then they hired someone to rewrite it and do something similar. And just kind of did the same thing. What's so unique about the Sunshine score is people actually just license the track. Like in Wonder Woman 1984, when she flies for the first time, Mm. they just use the track. Right. They yeah. just will license a track from another score because they nailed it so fucking hard. All the moments in this where it's sort of like the sun slowly coming closer, them in the suits, moving slowly, trying to fight time, and everything just swelling. It's like, it's it's just become part of the language of film music now. It's very good. Yeah. I feel like there are like three movies that have just licensed no, yeah, I think you're right. The it track, gets used along a lot with Wonder Woman. Yeah. It's a lot like the Hans Zimmer Thin Red Line track, Journey to the Line, which yes. is well used in that movie, but then yes. got just reused over and over and over, over and over. Again. Yeah. All right. So now they're all fucked up. Canada's yeah. dead. They're out, they're running out of oxygen because they're fucking thing. Right. You have up. that first conversation where Michelle Yeoh's like, not to be an asshole, but we would have enough oxygen if more people died. Well, yeah. They're also kind of like, we've got enough oxygen to make it there. This is where Trent right. starts to get itchy because they're like, they're like, well, at least we can make it there. Well, we should point out that the plant room gets burnt. It got burned up. up. I yes. see it. Well, I called up. it Sorry. their fucking thing. Was that not clear? No. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> and their fucking thing. So they make it to Icarus One. Yes. I saw this film. I didn't even say this at the Odeon Camden Town in London. Congratulations. Um, and I was excited for this film. I mm-hmm. like Danny Boyle. I love space movies. Mm-hmm. But it did arrive with only so much fanfare. Yeah. And this is, I and I was very, I love the first half hour of this movie. I love the environmentals, mm-hmm. just like, you know, the atmosphere. But then when they, like, they're on, they dock with the Icarus one. It's all dusty. Ugh. Dark. Yeah. Ugh. And they've got that trick where anytime the light flashes over mm-hmm. the lens of the camera, you see one of the faces from the photo of the just original one frame. crew. Yeah. For just a f- split second. Yeah. And then finally, when they finally find them all dead in the observation deck, they do it one more time and you see the whole photo. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I remember just being, I was like, this is, this is the best shit I've ever this seen. I'm, I'm fucking losing my mind right yeah. now. Yeah. I'm 21 years old and I, I can't, I need sunshine all day. Yeah. Uh, how do we feel about the Icarus one? It's creepy. At it's one a, point, uh, it's covered Cliff in Curtis dust. says that say, 80% of yeah. dust is human skin, which is just not true. It's just I, like made I, up fact. I'll by say him. this though. It's one of those things that has stuck with me ever since I saw this movie. <laughs> and I think about it. It's not true at all. I know it's not true, but I just accept it. Um, he, It might be. Here's my defense of that line. Okay. Um, maybe in a spaceship where there's less stuff. Sure. 
and there's only people. Yeah. Apart from that, it's like a bunch of metal. Maybe what else then could it, it be? could be mostly human skin. Yeah. All right. That, that, that's all. Look, it's an effective line. It's a great line um, because obviously they're basically in this tomb. Mm-hmm. They don't know it yet, but it doesn't have like an alive vibe in there. No, and they do such a good job of once again not having the big info dump scene where they're like, look, we don't know exactly what happened to Pinbacker. We don't know why Icarus 1 failed. It's just kind of unspoken that it's like there's a little bit of a mystery around that thing. Yeah, there's the they one, lost communication. They have the video of Pinbacker that you see yes. Searle watching, the cheerful video. Yes. But where he is kind of like, the sun's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, you ever think about it, like wild stuff, right? That sun. Keep, it's in my. Mm. It's, it's sticking in the craw. Yeah, it's in the noodle. Yeah, it's dancing <laughs> around in there. Uh, and then, of course, they load up this ship, and then he's like, "One more video for you." Yeah. Hello, I'm a vampire now. I love the sun. Um, and it's all distorted, and you can't really see him. Yeah. Do you think he's living off of the sun? Like, is he nom, feeding nom, 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 off nom, nom, of? Nom. That's what I kind of imagine. I mean, like, I don't. He doesn't seem like he's cooking and taking care of himself. <laughs> There's no, this throwaway no. line they say, like, he's look, dust. They had enough food for you know eight people for three years, and you can yeah. kind of do the math of like, okay, one person sure. could probably survive on that. Yeah. So maybe he's like grabbing some you know kind bars and going oh, once but in a while. I know he's the villain of the film. Yeah, he's oh. the villain of the piece, and we are not supposed to be rooting for him or identifying with his ideology, right? But I still think, uh, whatchamacallit, the um, Weathering With You sure, is the only other movie I've seen that has a character to this length sort of make the argument of like, who are we to fight environmental disaster? Yeah, like, if let's just give it up. If the planet wants to die, right. sure. then that's its will. We're, we're meaningless. Uh, and it is just an interesting thing to think about. There's also, um, well... I don't agree with it. There's I also, make it clear. There's, I don't um, agree with it. Vera Farmiga in Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Oh, a, I feel a like, sensitive nuance performance. Right, so. but I feel like her take is also that, where she's like, look, these guys have shown up. I think maybe we hand the earth to them. You know, and it's yes. sort of that, it's a similar no, no, kind no. of pro-environment, like, yes. you know, radical environmental take of like, look, maybe we just let it all wash over us and like wipe us out. Obviously with Godzilla, you're dealing more with metaphor and Godzilla is always about the balance between like the natural order of things and like, you know, atomic weapons and all this sort of stuff. I just think Weathering With You and Sunshine are the two movies that do it with actual weather. Yeah. <laughs> that do it with no, like no. the forces of the universe mm. where it's like... If our planet is becoming unlivable, then maybe we shouldn't be alive. Um, Pinbacker is basically, yeah, his take seems to be, look, the sun decided to kill us all, and I yeah. say we do what the sun says. Right. It, it doesn't go beyond that. It's just like, I, I now have seen this thing up close. And, and it's I, the boss I, of me. Everything, yeah. I'm just like, what, anything we want to do feels he's, stupid and petty. He's selfish, though, because oh, he wants to be the think? last man. Sort of. That's, I think, a big part of his motivation. As much as he's like initially presenting it as like, who are we? Mm-hmm. I think right. it's really more like I am the one, the last one who will be standing. Well, yes, he's got he's got a bit of a. I was like, well, he doesn't have a god complex because he thinks the sun is god, but yeah. he's got he's got a he's got a son of son of god. Yeah, he's sort of whatever the yeah. acolyte complex. of the sun, right. I guess. Like, he's the DJ Khaled of the sun. Mm. I don't see. know if that's something that we'll leave in the episode. No, we're <laughs> gonna lose that one. He points to the sun and he's like, "Good work, another one." Um, keep shining. 
he here's my question. You're like, and you're, you get your name on the track. There's no answer to this question. Major key. Like the film's doing most of the heavy lifting. The film is very much like he went crazy, which yes. I I do like that. This film often is sort of like the answer to your question is the sun. Mm-hmm. The answer to your question is he got so close to the sun that X happened. Yeah, right. But obviously he's still alive. He's a little sunburned, a little bit, and he's very into the sun. Mm-hmm. everyone else on the ship is dead. They all went to the observation deck mm-hmm. and burned themselves up, mm-hmm. right? You see them all sitting there. Yes. It's this like chilling kind of Pompeii, you know, the weird corpses from Pompeii, right? They're all yeah. these like dusty and someone touches them and they like fall apart and you're like, Ooh. Gross. Um, do you think they were with him? Like that he got them on board with that and they went crazy too and then one day they just did that. Or do you think he kind of like trapped them in there and cooked them? It's a good question. Cooked. You think he cooked them? Oh, Definitely. really? Definitely. I, I, I. It's just never answered. We yeah. have no idea about. It. We don't know what the other. Because he's the captain, and I think he overrided the system and just like boosted it up, right to a, yeah. a dangerous level sure. of sun sunshine. Yeah. That's and the name of the movie. and, and mm. cooked them all. Mm. I always. You think they were all just on board with him? No, I read it as, or I have read it as, uh, they all were starting to get their brain broken by the sun a little bit, but he to the greatest degree. Right. So the rest of them were just kind of like, we failed this mission. You know, yeah, he like broke the ship. Right. The ship is like functional, but he has like broken the computer, which is why it's just like standing there. Right. We failed this mission, and we're starting to see this argument: that the sun is more powerful, and we're foolish to fight it. Right. So they're like, this is kind of the noble way to kill ourselves is to get the full Cliff Curtis moment of, like, full sun Obviously, experience. it's incredibly effective And that image. he's the one who feels like he's serving a higher purpose, where he's like, I can't die because I have to continue serving the sun, basically. Um, but It's, I, it's both, all good. Both Everything are, is... And it's all very Alex Garland. Just yes. that kind of, like, at a certain point, something our minds will just break in the face of, yeah. like, unfettered nature. Mm-hmm. Um, while they're poking around on Icarus 1, the ship's decouple. Yes. This is when Pinbacker has walked on to Icarus 2. A weird amount of people in my life have not understood that that's what, how he got on. Yes. I get that question. I don't know if, well, you guys probably don't feel a lot of sunshine questions, but I just get that I question try. a lot where there are people like, I don't get how do you get on the ship? Like, he literally just walked over. I sit like fucking Neil Crowder at a table with a sign that says, ask me questions right. about sunshine. sunshine. Um, with a fucking he, cup of coffee. He just walks on to Icarus 2 and, do, you know. Stephen Crowder? Shuts the door Neil Crowder. Him. What the fuck am I talking Who's about? Stephen Crowder? It's louder with Crowder. Go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. Um, and so now you've got it's uh, Kappa, mm-hmm. Searle, Mace, and uh, Troy Garrity. I refuse to say his name because I don't remember it. Yeah, uh, uh, Harvey. 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 Of course. Yes. There's one spacesuit. Yes. How do we get across? And well, Mace and Roseburn are back in the main ship. Mace and Ro- Trey- no, 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 no. Mace is on the ship. No, it's oh, uh, Roseburn yes. and Michelle Yoko's yes. on. Yes, they're still on the main ship. Trey's Trey's having is a depression nap, essentially. Yeah. yeah, and the other four are on the Icarus yeah. one. And Harvey immediately is like, "Well, maybe, maybe I should go over because yeah. communications are very important. We're talking. I'm the captain. Yeah, and he's now officially captain because the seas was second in command. It's kind of funny too because his uh, equipment got cooked." Yeah. yeah, he has like no purpose. So he has right. truly no purpose. Not really. Other than, I guess, being like a senior ranking officer. Right. That's, that's his, his, his whole argument is chain of command. They're like, you're meaningless. Yeah. Uh, right. And Mace is like, like literally, they're like putting the suit on Kappa. Yeah. And Harvey's like, well, wait a second. And Mace is like, yeah, whatever. It's He's just, going over. It's just such a good detail that for how much Mace kind of hates Kappa, he never fights the notion that Kappa is the most important. 
Never fights that. It, exactly. He hates right. it. No, but no. he's so mission based. We, 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 he, he's the whole. We we have one purpose, and he yes. is he is the, the center of it. And then this plan is so cool of him being like, we can fucking rip up the lining of right. the ship, yeah. hug him, bear hug him, yeah. and use the force of the ejection to get inside. And uh, they one of them has to stay behind. Mm-hmm. Harvey immediately starts going, oh, and it's going to be me, huh? And Cliff Curtis is like, no, it'll be me, which is a great line the way mm-hmm. he delivers it. Yeah. But I do think Cliff Curtis is also kind of like, kind of want to. I want to go back to the room. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right? He, just, he just took a look at that and he's like... Mm. Like no. an addict. Yes. Or like an addict. Yeah. It's, it's not like a nobility Addis. thing. Not, he's not an addict, to be clear. He's not no. You can't addict. store coats in him. No, whatever, no, right? no. <laughs> Cliff Curtis has no upstairs. <laughs> he's all one level. There's no trap door. You pull a string and he absolutely opens up. Not. No, no, okay? Uh, can, I, can I correct this quickly? For so long, I have heard these scarless rumors... That for 11 months out of the year, Christmas ornaments are stored within Cliff Curtis. And they are not. They are not. (laughs) And you see people, they come towards him and they're looking, they're opening his mouth. If you're a little boy and you discover millions of dollars, you can't can't go and hide in Cliff Curtis. And let's also make this clear. If you're Christopher Christopher Eccleston, do not climb on top of Cliff Curtis, drill drill holes holes in his head, and use him to (laughs) look up and spy down. No, you can't do that either. That's a rude thing to do. (laughs) And he tried, which is, you know, I've heard that story. He's one of our finest actors. So, so... Searle is yeah. Searle's basically like, oh, one of us has to die. I guess I'll, I'll do it anyway. Uh, how you know? Can you guys get out of here so I can get back to the uh, crazy summer? I love that <laughs> like, he doesn't like play the moment you're used to in these yeah. movies of like the grand sacrifice, right. the heroic sacrifice. Because he's just like, yeah, no, I'll do it. I just feels like it makes sense. All right, but he really just he's jonesing for that fucking son. Um, the fact yes. that I think Canada uh, uh, got to see it. Is the thing that finally breaks. That's him. like burning his buns, right? Yeah. Now, now the notion that someone he knows got firsthand like exposure, and then he sees all of the dead bodies on the observation deck. Now he's like really thinking about what a hundred percent would look like, and then his death is so great. It's getting all burned up. Um, but they do this ejection. Yeah, there's the I think just very satisfying dramatic irony of Troy Garrity yes. missing. I'm sorry. You kind of are just sort of like, yeah. yeah oh, absolutely. And the terrifying fate okay, of yeah. you see they just they're off by like 2%. Right. He hits like a wall. His trajectory is thrown off by like 15 and degrees. It's over. They can't get him. They don't even try. No. Kappa like, grabs we lost Chris Harvey. Evans and tosses him in. Fucking yeah, airlock. Like a sack of potatoes. Right? Yeah. And then you just see him there. He thinks I must be inside now. That's how I've always read it. Because he like pulls off the face. Right. The oh. like the tape. Yeah. And okay. I just imagine it's one of those things where it's like, well, you're all bundled up. You thought this was gonna last five seconds. You can't, you have no sense of really where you are. He assumes I must be back indoors now. Right, right. And he rips his face off and then you're just right. he immediately does immediately freeze it. Yeah. Yeah. And does the sort of like takes one breath. Yeah. Icy uh, eyes. Oh man, when his leg shatters and, and shatters, you see the yeah. like crystallized blood. Yeah. Oh man. And they hold it for a while. Like you they give you two or three shots of his body, his frozen body just floating. Yeah. Knowing like he's gonna fucking hit an object and shatter. It's nasty. But they they make you wait for it. And then they have like it's almost like a cartoon a little bit of having them him get to the edge of the shield and just cook up like yes. a little tiny spot. Yes. Yeah, um, but I it's just, probably the most 
effective death in the film. Yeah. Even though all the film's death scenes are quite effective. He's And say. he's the character you like the least. And he's the character you like and know the least, and he's played by right. kind of the least important actor. Yeah. And no offense to Troy Garrity. Yeah. But um, I, it, this energy now... They're back in the ship, right? Chris Evans is like hypothermic. Yeah, he's got like some freezer burn, you know. Evans plays all this stuff really well. He does. He does a very like, good job with the physical stuff. Because McGregor, it, Boyle always talked about how McGregor's secret skill as an actor, at least in the Boyle movies, was how good he was at playing pain. He was like, he's bizarrely good at playing physical pain on screen. Right. And you have the early setup of Evans dropping the wrench into the the water cooler. Yeah, the coolant. picks it up and goes, <laughs> Right. And there's that incredible, like, camera shift where the camera shifts with his body as he flops onto the ground. And then, like, his hand is right there and it's icy frozen. But he just, he plays all the temperature shit really, really well. And now it's like, okay, they're safe. But suddenly it's like, we've lost four guys in, like, 12 hours. That's true. They're you down know? to Killian... Chris Evans, Rose yeah. Byrne, Michelle Yeoh. That's it, right? And then the, the Trey question. And right, and then they have this sort of debate over Trey where yeah. it's basically implied that Chris Evans is about to go kill him and then he right. just finds him dead. They've lost like, three okay. guys, I guess. But they've lost three guys in such quick Yeah, it's set. three guys. Yeah, sure. And then yeah. and then Trey is dead. Yeah. Um, and so they're down to four, and they're like, okay, well, you know, here we go. And but then there's the conversation the, about Trey. Yeah, I said that. But I, I take I, the vote. There's yeah. the line I want to call out. Oh, okay. What's the line? They're they're all saying, like, look, there's the thing we, we can do. We've thought he's probably going to kill himself and we don't have to discourage him. But now it's time is of the essence. Maybe mm. we push this along. Um, he, There's a penance that needs to be paid. If he already wants to do it, we're helping him out. All this sort of shit. And then they go to Rose Byrne and she goes, I understand what you're saying. Right. I understand the calculation. But if you're asking for my vote, I can't give it to you. Right. Basically saying, like, I'm not fighting your logic but I do not have it within me to out loud say you should kill him. Right. It is a thing I cannot verbalize. Which no one really ever says out right. loud because they don't want to. Right. And she just says, if you're if you're asking for my phone, I cannot give it. And Evans just sort of says, like, it, this is happening regardless. Right. And she takes this moment and she looks at him and says, try to find a kindness in it. No, she says, make it easy for him. And somehow. then she says, try to find oh. some kindness. Oh, I don't. Oh, oh, oh. Here it is. I found the line. Yeah. Looking at it. You make it easy for him somehow. Find a kindness. I just think that's a profound It is line. a profound line, although I got to be honest, if I'm Chris Evans, I'd be like, the fuck you? I'm, what? I'm going to give him a yeah. Kit Kat? What are you talking about? You see this ship? But like big, big, sad-eyed Rose <laughs> Byrne, no, no, tired Rose Byrne. Well, you want Rose Byrne to say that to you. I do. I just think that's... It, when she's it's telling a, you to kill someone. The situation's gotten so you bad. you would do it. So For, for her? Absolutely. Yes. The situation's gotten so bad so quickly. And she's just barely trying to hold on to any sense of humanity they still have. I cannot argue logically. I'm yeah. not going to be this bleeding heart like kumbaya. Yeah. We can do it person. I understand we're fucked. But try to find some kindness. Uh, that just hits me really hard. Yeah. Well, and who who are you? Tag yourself. So you're saying you're the Rose Byrne? You're Rose Byrne? Tag yourself? Yeah. Or I mean, are you pinbacker? I'm Be less honest. Smart. Sometimes. At my worst, I'm pinbacker. Mm. When I'm on Twitter for too long, I'm pinbacker. <laughs> uh, Twitter is my son. <laughs> yeah. Why am I looking at this? <laughs> right. Stop. Yeah, you're Cliff Curtis, actually. You're like 3%. Your computer's like, I don't recommend. You're like, no, 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 well, no. I, I can think, do it. David, that's very kind of you to say. I think recently I've been practicing Cliff Curtis. Right, right, right. Like to try my, to make sure I don't go full pinbacker. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Yeah, 30 seconds. Who are you, Ben? 
I think I'm Roseburn. Yeah. Who am I? Um, I kind of think I want to say Corazon. Yeah. She's that so I'm good. just like kind of chill. Yeah. And I'm on my kind of like my own little tip, my own little like I'm having my own moment. Just what a steady. But then man. there's just down disaster all yeah. around me. There's like a tinge of spirituality to yeah. her. Her death hurts, even though she's not that crucial a character at that point. Like, you know, she, you know, the oxygen garden is yeah. gone. Like I, the point is that she's finding like a little bit of life left in it, but still. Oh man, the little the little, little sapling. <sighs> yeah. Um, but her death still hurts because it's Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, like her getting you know well, it's, beamed with the yes. uh, not beamed but you know jabbed with this the scalpel. This it's insane it's why, automatic scalpel. It's so crazy. It's why casting is so important in a movie like this, where you just need to form really strong connections to people immediately. But you a could lot do of that big actors would be afraid to take course, apart that sort of, of you know small. Because yeah. a lot of it it gets into behavioral stuff. It's not having huge scenes to play, but you need some combination of actors who the audience has some prior relationship to, like. Michelle Yeoh, where they're coming in with a built-in shorthand, and people who are just distinctive, who look distinct, who sound distinct, who act distinct, who are going to stand out from each other. Um, you also, like, because Kaneda dies so early, she becomes the elder statesman. A little bit. She's a as generation As much as Michelle Yeoh doesn't want to be. Of yes. course, but that I think that all works. The fact that in real life she didn't want that part, and then her character is the one who's sort of, even though Harvey will not stop reminding them that he is now the captain— you're like, everyone else is in a different age class, right? <laughs> You're saying Harvey is back at updating it? Up a little bit. I'm the captain now. Yeah. He's smacking the table saying, yeah. I'm the captain now. No, but like, uh, um, uh, Sonata and and Yo are are like a decade older than everyone else in the cast. At yeah. least, right? Oh, at least. I mean, right. Michelle Yo at this point would have been like sort of almost 50. Yeah. No, like 45, right? No, wait. 60, it's like 20. Evans, Burns, uh, Evan. Evans, yeah, like Burn, Murphy are all like late twenties. Cliff right. Curtis, Troy Garrity, thirties. Sonata and, uh, and Yo are like yeah, the same 30s. age practically. Yeah. They're yeah. both born in the early sixties. Yeah. Um, yeah, how old is Cliff Curtis? He's one of those. He he's actually closer in age to those guys. He's That's one what of those. I'm saying. Yeah, he's, he's like, younger. He just has adult face. No, but I'm saying no. He's sixty eight. He was born in nineteen sixty eight. He's oh, closer. He really? in, he's he's secretly older okay. than you think he is because he's yeah you know good looking. Yes. Like, you know, he just basically has always looked the same. Yes. Um, um, but yeah, she goes, he goes in to try to electric scalpel him, sees that he's already slit his wrist. Uh, and then there's that brutal move where Chris Evans takes the blood from Trey's wrist and puts them on Killian Murphy. Yeah, which, I mean, relax, Mace. This is on your hands. Yeah. This is where this belongs. Yeah, maybe, maybe like, don't do it's that. It's a little blunt. It's fucking English 101 over here. Yeah, also, right, it's a little cheesy. It's yeah. like, we can't even blood on his Yeah, but I like that he's... They're mad. The character, like, I don't think that's cheesy on the part of the movie. Mace is such an overcranked he's, guy. If I'm Kappa, I'm like, look, I just threw your ass back into an airlock. I didn't yeah. have to do that, you know? Save, you know, come on. Some, yes, you win some, yes, you lose somebody. Yeah. Um, so... Now they're on their way to the sun. Everything's going to be okay. And then you have the wonderful scare tactic to kick off the final act of the film of Kappa just chatting to the computer. Yes. Computer being like, you're all going to die soon, FYI. And he's like, no, what do you mean? There's only four of us. No, there's a fifth one. Well, who is it? I regret to inform you, Trey has actually passed. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad (laughs) news. Yeah, right. Sorry, computer. Yeah. I just, and then 
like where he's like, who's the fifth member of the ship? Yeah. And the com- computer's just like, unknown. And you just see like him standing there in the observation deck. Yeah. It's so good. No, and I just, I already sort of talked about it, but I love this choice of like, Pinbacker cannot be filmed. Cameras cannot right. capture him. The, the film just distorts around him. Right. You see him for just seconds at a time. Yeah. It's kind of a crazy choice it's because blown Mark, out and it Mark, gets stretched out and everything. Mark Strong is covered in makeup. Yes. They definitely like did oh, work. Absolute you know? full body. Right. And yet you barely ever can see him. He said he based the makeup on Nikki Lotta. Yes. Who got burned up. Yes. The uh, real the Formula, Formula One, One racer. Driver. Yeah. Uh, but yes, no, it's it's one of these incredible things where you're like, this must have been an unbelievable top to body, fully caked in, fucking six hours a day makeup job that they never give you a clear view of. Right. You then barely you see his face in this movie. You only well, see it a couple times. Even in the videos, it's often obscured. What I wonder, too, is because I keep thinking, like, is he eating the sun? Part of me is like... <laughs> You're really focused on... I really... What is his food? Yeah. Sun yeah. chips. Sun <laughs> chips, Ben. Exactly, Ben. Sun chips. Capri Sun. Capri Sun? <laughs> okay. Yes, Capri Sun. All right, now mm-hmm. it's starting to make more that sense. That would be funny. He turns Sunny around D. and he's just sucking on one of those Capri Suns. <laughs> he, like, puts the straw in really aggressively. From the yeah. bottom, though, of course. I worship. Yeah, her locker stuff. Yeah. Um, I feel like he's emanating radiation. Yes. yes. Like that's Definitely. part of the idea yeah. Of, yeah. of why they're. Uh, it's literally tough to be in the same way. room as him. Yeah. Yes. But you know what I'm saying? Where he, like, Boyle chooses to basically, like, break the fourth wall and be like, it's the way I'm conveying his energy and how hard it is for them to perceive him in real time is I'm basically treating it like the cameras are not capable. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm acknowledging the framework of this movie to a certain degree. I love this now where we're going to spend a lot of this final act of the movie too. The the sort of the bomb room, the payload room where it's almost like a Borg cube. Yes, it doesn't ha- seem to have conventional like sort of rules of physics. No. Um, like you seems like you can kind of just like fall from one side to another side and just kind of work. Yes. Like reorient back up, and I like it's not explained. It's it's this weird like almost MC. It's a big cube. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It's like um, it's like the box he's in at the end of uh, Interstellar when he's trapped in like the in the library. Yeah, in the loop. Yeah, yeah. it reminds me of that. And the other way, I mean, he's on the outside. But now, yes, now the movie it's takes the shift where right. right now it's underworld music cranked up. Yes, it's a scary man with with <laughs> the strings are going. Like yes. any time, like he's anywhere near, and he's just like gonna kill them all. Kill him, or if he's trying to save his two friends and save the bomb, he slashes Kappa. Right? He like yes, because Kappa's the one who finds him in the Correct. observation, and he kind of slashes and at him, locks the door behind him. Right, and then it's just a lot of running around. Right. He kills Carzon by stabbing her. Yeah, and so then it's really just Kappa, Cassie, and him. Yes. Oh, because right, because the other one is Mace has to go to. The engine room. Yes. He's like lifted everything. And Mace has to put everything back in. And Mace cuts his leg doing it, freezes, bleeds to death. Yes. And there's that tragic shot of his his Tiva. He's wearing the sandal. Oh, sure. Soaked in blood. No? Nobody? Yeah. I just love it. No, it's love a great hero's death. Uh, I also just, I mean, it's like, it's the, the aliens thing, right? Where like you need at the beginning of the movie to show other people operating the power yeah, layer yeah, sure. to understand how, this how all it works. works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, this movie just sets up everything so well where it's just like, without feeling like foreshadowing. That's what I like. It just feels like this is all world building and then of course, of course, it's going to come down to Chris Evans having to go put his entire body right. in this thing. And then just be like, do it. Yeah. Do it. While he's dying. Yeah. 
Because uh, um, there's nothing he, left to do. No, and uh, well, the for Killian Murphy, nightmare situation, trying his hardest to get through to his friends to tell him, hey, uh, crazy sun man on board. <laughs> yeah, Stabbing right. up a I, storm. I don't know what the warning is. Yeah. Like what you blast out Got one there. of those motor scalpel, scalper, scalpels. Jesus. Look out. Look out. Look out. Now, are you aware of the bullet that was dodged at the end of this film? I don't know. Tell me. Because obviously at the end of the movie, they're all on the bomb. There's yes. that Rose Byrne rips off like some of Pinbacker's skin. Oh, that's fun. Brutal. That's so sick. Um, his like whole, right. She tries to grab onto his arm and basically the arm just goes with her. Yes. Oh. Which is great. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, Kappa mm-hmm. turns on the bomb. The bomb works. Yes. We assume. We see the sun getting brighter. He has his mo- and, and, and there's already, this moment where this like wall of fire yes. approaches him, and, and he's smiling. Yeah, you have the earlier conversation where he wakes up in the middle of the night, and they compare their dreams too. Where right. he She's talks, he's constantly the having the sun, right. right, falling into the sun. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know what have but would have been a good needle drop? Steal my sunshine. By okay, Len. so well, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, here. really? Not that, of course. That would have been great. That would have been good. I don't know. Does she uh, like? Butter <laughs> uh Danny Boyle I was <laughs> initially wanted to use the song Fix You by Coldplay oh, Jesus. over oh, this moment. Christ. God. Now he says, he says it, yeah. it was too cheesy. Yeah. He, you know, admits it. It was putting, his idea and he was the one to kill it. Correct. Okay. Like putting Coldplay over this did not work. However, he does say, boy, did it make me cry. Oh, God. But he will admit it was too cheesy. If they had done that, this... And I, I don't even dislike Coldplay in the way that... I, I, I don't you know, know. Coldplay's got our... Whatever. Right I don't stuff. care. Ben's I don't care. me a look. Yes. But, you know, at this point, I had kind of gone off them. Ben you know. thinks, they stink. Yeah. But if this movie ended with Coldplay, Parachutes it would be... is actually kind of a good album. Yeah. <laughs> the first two albums are pretty good. And yeah, the Yellow one they did with Brian Eno was all right. And, you know, yeah. who cares? Yeah. But if this ended with Coldplay, it would be a zero out of 10 F minus. Like, truly, the way people talk about... The uh, last act of this film. Right. I'm like, they're insane. If Fix You was played over this, despite thinking every moment up until this point is perfect, I would think this movie was garbage. <laughs> it would retroactively just, kill like, everything somebody I liked about it. could easily on YouTube now yes. go and just like layer Fix You over Right now our listeners are racing to Final Cut to see which one of them and can maybe, upload this to like Twitter Danny or Boyle, Reddit first. Yeah. You will be moved watching that, but I yes. doubt it. I think in Instead, you'll just want to throw your laptop in the garbage. Yeah. But uh, that was the initial plan. Wow. Imagine. And, and Instead, we just have beautiful underworld score. Right. Like shimmery, weird I, score. Iconic score. This movie's lasting legacy yes. is the score they play at this moment. I mean, the main, the main theme is the thing when Kappa puts on the suit at the end and is trying to make it back. Which is uh, such yeah, a good, sure. the seconds count down. You feeling the pressure of how hard it is to walk in that thing. How slow he's moving, the forces he's up against. What a good movie. Um, it is a great film. And the final shot, have, of course, is the right. brilliant trick of they shot it in like fucking Norway or whatever, big frozen tundra. They just put the Sydney Opera House in the background. Yes. Did you, you know? pick up on that, Ben? No. At the you end, the, and the, the, the when it's Kappa's sister and she sees the video clip. Yeah. In the background is the Sydney Opera House. So it's supposed to be that the sun dying has made it so that Australia is so damn frozen. cold. Oh, no, I did not realize that at all. Right. I uh, was just It's subtle. I was just assuming yeah. it was some kind of structure buried in snow. Yeah. Okay. Um but uh Yeah, that's that's the state of Sydney. Yeah. Damn. Um but uh, uh, then the sun kind of goes like whoop. Not the state of I wasn't I'm saying that's yeah, the current the state, state of, of I don't want Sydney. people correcting me. Uh I know it's not a state, it's a city. Listen. 
it, it feels like we've talked about this being the era where Boyle takes the hard turn to sentimentality mm. that turns a lot of people off. Sure. Some dog millionaires the next year. Right. It's 28 days later to millions is when suddenly he starts being a little more open hearted after his early films are so nasty and misanthropic Your in a lot shame. of ways. Right. Um, this, I think, is a totally earned ending, and I think it's understated, and I find it very uh, emotionally impactful. I agree. It's uh, a great ending. This is Alex Garland's real wife playing Cap's sister. Uh, yeah, sure. I believe he's an animator and a filmmaker in her own right. That's cool. Um, but yeah, it's just a perfect full circle. She's now receiving the video. And of course, his promise he made at the beginning of, like, it's going to take eight minutes to come back. Right. So if we've succeeded, you'll find out eight minutes later. Yeah. And you see the sun starting to to hit again. There's there's a future. There's a promise. Yay! It was not in vain. It was all worth it. Masterpiece. Ten out of ten. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think so. David, I like Prometheus. Oh, it's so good. I know you love Prometheus. Love it. And I'm a Prometheus defender. Sure. I do think rewatching this movie now, maybe for the first time post Prometheus. Mm. I was like, oh, this is the reason I'm a little underwhelmed by Prometheus isn't because I'm negatively comparing it to Alien. It's because I think Boyle did the modern Alien. Sunshine is unbeatable. Yeah. I can't deny that. Yeah. And it's it's just so funny for that run of like all those other movies we're talking about. Arrival, Interstellar, Gravity, Prometheus, Covenant, what have you. Mm. All of which I like. I'm like, I still think this is the best. I think this is the best space movie of the 21st century. Sort of hard space movie, you know? Yeah, Interstellar is the one where I would struggle with the... Com- I don't know. I love them Another both. movie that I obviously love you as well. You like it, but you don't like it like I no, like it. I know, they're just... I mean, you, you know, I don't yeah. know. But I mean, but I, I won't hear a thing against Sunshine. Except maybe they should just call it something else. Fireball! I like it yeah. being the title, even if it played against it. But this movie was... Hot! Such... S- just, that, just that noise. Bomb in theaters. <laughs> I mean, it was a it was a bomb, certainly, especially in the United States. The night this episode comes out, we will be screening this movie at the Metrograph, which mm. is very cool that they were able to track down a thirty five millimeter print. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like this movie does not get rep screenings ever. Do you think they're going to take my note of turning up the temperature in the theater? Oh God, they're going to crank it. Don't. They're going to make it hot. Hell yeah. So get ready to sweat yeah. if you're going to that. And you got to wear sunglasses in the theater. Yep. Um. But watching this movie again last night on Blu-ray, and notoriously cursed Blu-ray. Yeah, it's like broken. It's broken. If you play, at least if you play it on certain devices, like it insists on doing like picture-in-picture commentary or something. The early days of Blu-ray, Ben, when they were trying to be like, we're doing shit you could never do with DVD. Yeah. One of their big selling points that very quickly got abandoned because people were like, this was annoying. Right. Was that you could do sort of like picture-in-picture window stuff. Jerry Maguire has a picture-in-picture commentary. Rather than having like sitting like this pure audio commentary, basically over your movie, little boxes and screens will appear with like little making of featurettes and things like that. Okay. And the Sunshine Blu-ray like has an error on it where it automatically does that and you can't turn it off. Yeah, oh, that's annoying. There's a way to There's a, fix it. I believe you could like send your. There disc was a replacement out, right. program where you could send in your disc and they would update it with the new one. But they like they shipped out so many of the faulty disc that is basically unplayable. To watch the movie in its actual just pure form. And this movie is not very popular or well known. So like the vast majority of discs that exist out there in the ether are from that first run. And even when people are like on a Reddit where like the disc is out of print now because Disney owns Fox and they haven't re-released this on Blu-ray, right? 
And people who are like looking to buy discs are like, buyer beware, if you're buying a used copy of this movie, nine times out of ten, it's the one that's unplayable. It's just a weird legacy thing of this movie that already barely has a legacy that like it was kind of fucked on home video. Um, but what was I going to say? What is it? Boyle, man. He in physical media. The Boyle physical He's media so run. Cursed. And it's bizarre considering most of his films are at the one distributor that Fox has done him dirty that hard. And even before Disney buying them, Fox was already doing him dirty on physical media. Um, but watching this at home last night in my corrected, updated post-mail-in Blu-ray, I was like, I just fucking can't wait to see this in a theater again. Yeah, I'm can't wait to see, to see this in a big screen. I, I definitely haven't seen it in a theater since 2007. So few people ever got to see. And I even think still when I talk about this movie to people, they're like, when did that happen? Like, this movie still doesn't have the cult you imagine it would have built by now. When you say, like, Danny Boyle in between 28 Days Later and Slumdog Millionaire made a space movie with this cast. And it cost $40 million and it has some of, like, the best visual effects of its decade. Um, it looks incredible. It does look incredible. The visual effects are perfect. There's, like, nothing wrong with them. Yeah. Basically, there's a lot of practical stuff. They were really smart about when they could actually just put a thing in front of a camera. Yep. Um, but the other thing with this movie was they spent a year on the visual effects. The way you get this level of uh, effect done on a $40 million budget is that you don't rush. Right. Uh, like, um, there's the story I'm always fascinated by because it feels like more people should follow this lesson. But Paul, a movie you hate. Awful movie. The Greg Matola <laughs> alien movie yeah. where they have this main CGI character, but it was done at like a $25 million budget. And I read some interview with Matola where they were like, how did you get it done at that budget? And he was like, the answer was we shot the film. We went to a good effects house. And they were like, we can do this at the budget you're asking for. It will take two years right. because you're going to be our lowest priority project. Right. And I think similarly with this movie, they shot this film in like 2005. They shot this film in 2005. It's why this movie comes out only like basically a year before Slumdog. Yes. Which seems crazy because Slumdog is like a fairly complicated movie. But yeah, they shot it, it long it, ago. It has a very long post-production sure process and then they sit on it even for a little while now, after that. with Paul, now of course, in both of the circumstances we're citing, these movies came out and did poorly. Horribly. <laughs> and with Sunshine, it may have just been, it was yeah. a tough movie to market. It didn't have like a huge star, blah, 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 blah. With Paul, I do remember the feeling of like, we were kind of like, mm, aren't we kind of done with this? Oh, absolutely. Like, genre of comedy. You know, like, it just felt a little late. I, I agree. I'm no Paul I'm not, I'm not beefing it. I'm not a beefing. beefing the only reason it. I bring this up is I do think it's interesting as there's an no, ongoing dialogue about, like, VFX crunch. Yes. And how unsustainable the Marvel model and all these places that are being rushed to, like, change 30% of the effects six weeks before the movie comes out. And you watch a film like this that looks incredible. And you're like, oh, they got it done at one-fifth of the budget. Right. And they just took their time. Took their time. That's all they did. But you know what? You got to get... This looks god-awful. Paul sucks. Yeah. Oh, Paul. Paul? Oh, it's... It's the worst. Paul literally been... And Greg directed... Confess Flash. Yeah, no, yeah. he's directed other good movies. There's no question. What, there, what other movies? You know, he Super had just bad. done Superbad. Oh, Adventureland. Yeah, Wait, Adventureland's wow. good. Yeah. Like, exactly. Like Paul and, was the beginning of a bad run for him. Dang. Then he does uh, Keeping Up with the Joneses. Well, in between, he did Clear History on HBO, oh, which like, I think is pretty fun. Yeah. It's really just Paul and Keeping Up with the Joneses where it's like, I get your vibe is not action comedy. Like, you no. know, you really just should just do these kind of low-key comedies, right? Can like, I say this thing about vibe. Paul quickly? And then we're going to move on from Paul. 
It was the same, like, working title who had produced the the two Edgar Wright Hot Fuzz movies, right? Yeah. Uh, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. And they were like, what's your third movie? And Edgar Wright was like, I'm going to go off and do Scott Pilgrim. Right. So, Which took him a long time. To right. So Simon Pegg and Nick Frost were like, well, at some point, Edgar Wright's going to come back. We're going to make the third film in our trilogy. Right. We sort of want to do a third movie together. And, and also probably just agents were like, guys, what do you got? Right, you guys are hot thing. stuff. Like, come on. The, the, story, you. the story with Paul, I swear to God, is near a park. The producer at Work and Tell was like, come on, come up with something. What's the third movie? What's the third movie for you two guys? And Simon Pegg, like, as a joke, drew the dumbest thing he could think of, which was mm-hmm. cartoon stick figures of the two of them, round, almond-eyed alien, and then it, he just wrote Paul and had to arrow point to it. And he's like, I don't know, it's a movie, it's two of us, Paul. Like, he was joking, like, what would be the dumbest movie poster I could come up with? And she was like, yeah, we'll greenlight this. Yeah. Wow. Truly the origin of that movie is him being like, oh, what if we just had an alien named Paul? Like, he was creating, like, a fake funny people poster. Well... He he doodled, and I've seen the actual drawing. It's terrible. Sure. And she was like, I'm serious. We should make Paul. Um, They shouldn't. She was wrong. She was incredibly And Near Park has produced a lot of good movies. Yeah, and that's why Trump got elected. Um, Box office. This film came out in America Mm -hmm. on July 20th, 2007. It comes out like the same weekend as Transformers. Uh, Well, it... On 10 screens. It it comes out on 10 screens. It's not Transformers, It's not? Okay. I mean, Transformers is out. Look, you just said number four, which was Transformers. Okay. Um, oh, Transformers but, was Fourth of July that yeah, week. Yeah, they yeah. had Big Willie weekend. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, it comes out on ten screens. Not sure why that was the just move. Heat of the summer. They're giving this a Fox sci-fi Searchlight action pla- film. Well, they're a giving it a Fox release. Searchlight platform release, right? Which is something you do in the fall. You could have released this film in September on like a thousand screens, and it probably would have done okay with it no might, competition. It, look, almost anything would have done better because what yes. they do the next week is they beef it up to four hundred and sixty screens. Yeah, that doesn't go very well because that that weekend it's against like I mean you know like the Simpsons movie. Sure, you know this was and, a big ass summer. Yeah, and then they just pretty quickly are like, forget it. And it just you know by three weeks later it's in like forty screens. What's know, the gone. final total on this domestically? 3.6 million okay. it's dollars. It's even higher than I thought it was. Um, and it made 32 worldwide. It made more yeah. in the UK but and it other places. It still lost money overall. Didn't do great. No. Um, number one at the box office okay, this July weekend 20th. is new. It's a comedy. It's a new comedy, 2007, July. Superbad isn't until August. Superbad has not come out yet. Yeah. Um, this is a movie star comedy. Uh-huh. I would say it's one of his worst. It's not a Will Ferrell. Nope. Uh, it's not a Jim Carrey. Nope. Um, but of that yeah. tier of guy, it's not a black. This is pre-Apatow takeover. It is. It's one of his worst. Oh, I think I know what it is. Is it a film I rewatched recently? I think it is. Is it I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry? The gay firefighters, but they're not gay. No. But maybe, maybe it's okay they're to be so gay, not but gay. I'm not gay. It's good for other people, but not me. <laughs> I did it for benefits. Yeah. Uh, Adam Sandler, Kevin James. A Dugan picture. A Dugan picture. It's opening yeah. to $34 million on its way to 119. This a is a perfectly when healthy run. It's just Sandler was invincible. 
It didn't matter what the fuck it was. It would always make $130 million domestic, basically. Correct. Um, what happens at the end of that movie? Do they both marry, like, Salma Hayek or something? He marries Jessica Biel. <laughs> right, Jessica Biel. Right. She's the lawyer, right? Yes. She's and like the, you guys Kev- have a good case here. Yes. And her brother's gay, so she's an ally. Uh, Kevin James remains a sad widow. Uh, what okay. happens? They kiss on the, no, they don't kiss. They kiss at an earlier point. They have to appeal in front of Congress, and they, you know, oh, God, you know how that fucking movie ends, David? They get I, I've seen out. the ending and I they forget, get called yeah. out for faking it. Right. And all their other like fireman buddies who have turned on them and become really homophobic do a I am Spartacus. I- I'm gay. No, I'm gay. God. And they all pretend to be gay in the courtroom so that they're basically like you would have to fire all of them. We have to stop talking about terrible. This. I now pronounce Chuck and Larry. Good Ving Rhames performance. That's all I'll say. Number two at the box. Do they office. pronounce him though, Chuck and Larry? Well, someone does. No, what's weird is they pronounce it Chuck and Lurie. Weird. Mm. Uh, ben didn't like that. Uh, number <laughs> they two. They pronounce at the box. it Chuck and Lurie. Oh, you're 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 doubling down. <laughs> number two at like the pronounce because in the mo- they're saying I now pronounce you like man and wife, and I made it a joke about the way you pronounce words. Just cut it out. Chuck and Lurie. Number two at the box it's office. A double meaning is kind of thing. A major franchise film. Okay. Uh, Live for a diehard. No, that is number six. Okay. So, you yeah. know, that's out there. Uh-huh. Uh, it's the second weekend of it. It's already made $207 million. Wow. Uh, I think it's um, one of the better entries in this eight-film franchise. Eight. Uh, yes, it's also the first in this franchise directed by this director who becomes kind of a mainstay. Interesting. But it's, So it's not Justin Lin. It's an eight film for Can you tell me what number it is? Or five. What, that give it away. This is five out of eight. And this guy stays on. Oh, it's the Potter. It's uh, Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix, Harry Order Potter. Order of the Phoenix. You're in a it. Phoenix. It's Harry. Order of the Phoenix in it. <laughs> the worst. I wish it was Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix is David Yates taking over after the, worst. the quite. It's terrible. It's <laughs> terrible. What you're doing is terrible. <laughs> All right, that's better. Um, and like, I feel like that book is this like very like that's where yeah. J.K. Rowling starts to go kind of insane, mm-hmm. and that book is like loaded with all kinds of weird axe grinding that yeah. she has about various things. Which is weird because she, she never has that be, vibe otherwise. I she know, never I know. like just sort of like digs a hole and <laughs> refuses to get out of I'm it. Not, I mean, it's not, it's not a, there's interesting stuff. And I yeah. feel like he seizes on that and he's like, let's make this a little more real world, a little more yes. tactile, a little more political. And it's a beautiful looking movie. It looks incredible. Uh, I, I, I mostly is like that, that movie Philippe I don't know. To, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I like. Nobody else shot the sixth one. I can't remember who shot the. Fifth okay. One. Oh, maybe it was Bruno shot that one as well. Um, yeah. Is Dobby in it? Dobby's not in that. Well, one. I don't like. They it. cut Dobby out of a lot of the films. Slavomir Idziak, another great cinematographer, okay. shot it. They good. They would get really like really top good. of the line yeah. crew guys for all those movies, mm-hmm. basically. Anyway, so that movie's doing great, but it was one of those weird. They did it in the summer. Potter usually better yeah. as a winter franchise, but that they, was the they year, dropped a few of them in the summer. But that was the year where it was. Uh, no, I'm getting this wrong. This was the 2009 thing. What? Potter was supposed to come out in Thanksgiving. In You're t- talking about 2006. Potter six, yes, yes, which they also dropped. In the, and it was the, the cover one. of Entertainment Weekly as the fall movie preview. And right. the week the cover came out, they were like, "We're pushing it to next summer." And the reason was because Dark Knight was so successful. If they had released Dark Knight and Harry Potter in the same year, 
There was like some tax problem. It, it was like next year we're going to take a loss. Like right, we right, will, we, the drop off will be so steep. Sure, right. If we have Harry Potter and Batman in the same year, we need to separate. So what you're them. hearing here is that Hollywood has always been well run. Now, number well three run. in the and box office. My brain is broken. Why do I remember these things? Yeah, why do you remember that? Number three at the box office mm-hmm. is a musical. It's opening. Hairspray. It's the film is hairspray. It's opening to twenty seven million dollars. Good opening, which is solid. But then it but multiplies. Has like a, a great motherfucker. Multiplier. Yeah, it was a big hit. Great film, in my opinion. I agree. The best Adam Shankman movie, and I say that as someone who is in an Adam Shankman. You movie. are in an Adam Shankman movie, but hairspray is better. Far and away, than that's his masterpiece. It is his best film, yes. and it has universally incredible performances. Yeah, but one. But one, it's a shame because everyone else in that movie is fucking. I think Travolta just does not work in that. It, I think it's calamitous. I, I mean, I Tra- Travolta's I get performance in that movie feels thinking. like pinbacker. It I feels like the, what they were the camera can't <laughs> capture what he's doing. And obviously, like they're trying to do the Broadway thing, but it just doesn't work. No, and I think in the original movie, I think he makes this catastrophic decision of like. Oh, I'm not going to do it like a drag performance. I want to try to play it like a real woman. Yeah, I'm going to try and play this like sort of sensitive lady. Right. And I think it's it's a... It's like, you're fucking John Travolta. This was was a John Waters thing. The makeup is terrifying. It's like, you need to go camp with that performance. And his attempt at making it a sensitive, realistic thing is a failure. But everyone else in that movie is amazing. Marsden's amazing. Uh, Queen Latifah's amazing. Like, everyone else is Zac Efron, you know. They all so work. good in that movie. Yeah. Elijah Kelly Jr. is so good in that yeah, movie. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer. You, yeah. you know, even Bynes. The whole, sort of brief period where Bynes was like, you know, kind of possibly going to be a big movie star. Yeah, that's the end of that period. You pretty much that right there. That is the end. She wins What a Girl Wants. Before. What did a girl want? Uh, to, to star in her own film universe. above the title. Sorry. What? I said meth. Okay. Ben. All right. That number was mean. F- number four. I take it back. Yeah. Take it back. Number Cut four at the box office. keep it in triple. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Listen to me, Alex. Don't do that. Stop saying that because he does it. <laughs> you have to stop saying it because he does it. I forgot that he actually does it. He does it. He did it the last time and he's going to do it again if I we don't stop him. He doesn't. Number four, as you said, is Transformers, uh-huh. which is a, a huge hit. Yeah, it's and kind of the five, breakout of the summer. It's not the highest grossing, but it's but the one the, that... The, it did so well. Yes. And it was, yeah, you're right. It was somewhat of a... And like, it's is that going to work? quote unquote original film... <laughs> That performs at the level of the three. And people wonder why Hollywood's gone mad. Number five at the box office Mm -hmm. is a film we've covered on this podcast. Okay, 2007. It is a perfect masterpiece. It is. Best films of the year. It's an animated film. Oh, Ratatouille. It's Ratatouille. Now, David, question for you. The little rat opens a restaurant. He's chef. This is week three or four? It's week four of Ratatouille. What's what's it up to? $165 million out of 206. It's, you know... Mostly done. Yeah. Why, Why do you no, ask? No, no. It was a, it was a good multiple because people were worried that was going to be their first flop, and they it were. opened to fifty, and it it did over two hundred. It did four times its opening weekend. It did. It did very well. And it's obviously and uh, he's a good rat, right? And we've like we've put it into Fort Knox. Like it's everyone has agreed that it's one of the crowning achievements of humanity, right? Um, David, my question for you is: What's that? Two thousand seven. I think is thought of as like the last like it's a great year for humongous Hollywood. movie year, right? It was the ninety nine of the two thousands. We maybe didn't have a year that clearly big in the twenty tens. It's the year with Zodiac, There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men, Ratatouille, Michael right. Clayton. What else? Knocked up, uh, fucking Juno, Into the Wild, uh, Assassination of Jesse James. Yeah. What else? A lot more. Much, you know. much like. Uh, 
1999, it's a year where you have a lot of big directors all making Super one bad. of their biggest films. Yeah, yeah, sure. And and a lot of big kind of cultural seismic movies. Beowulf, yes. Charlie Wilson's Worth, The Bucket List. I mean, hit after hit. So we've covered a fair... Norbit. We've covered a fair number of 2007 films, we as have. you've said. We have. I'm just curious, because I know you have this spreadsheet fucking locked in. Mm. Where does Sunshine Factor in your spreadsheet in a very competitive year? You want you want to know what nominations it got? Yeah. Picture. Where would you put it in your 10? In my top 10 of this year? Yeah. Don't yell at me. No, I, I have it fifth. Okay. Behind no. Zodiac, There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men, and Ratatouille. No, I which think... Which are I, four movies I adore as thing. much as this I movie. think it's probably five for me after some combination of Zodiac, No Country, Ratatouille, and uh, Michael Clayton. Clayton, I have sixth. Right. I, I put this ahead of There Will Be Blood, but I like There Will Be Blood less than other PTAs. Milkshake. Do you know that he drinks the milkshake in that? He drinks it up. I drink it up. Fuck off. No, I won't. Now they're fighting? I drink your milkshake. Uh, Fuck off. That would be good succession season four. They're like, there's a new investor on the horizon. (laughs) Daniel Daniel Plainview. (laughs) I'm an oil man. Right. God, remember when that was just... We got to pivot to technology. Uh, I like oil. um, (laughs) Streaming is the future. What about oil? Yeah, my top ten of that year is Zodiac, Blood, Men... (laughs) Rat, yeah, son, Clayton mm-hmm. knocked up. Yeah, we own the night. Eastern promises and the host. I mean, it, the bong movie. Just an embarrassment of riches. Uh, an embarrassment of riches. There are movies I adore that are outside the top ten, such as Paprika, the mm-hmm. Satoshi Kon movie. Mm-hmm. Jesse James, I think, is great. James firmly in my ten. Juno, I love. I do too. Lust Caution, I love. Yes. Um, Death Proof, Three Ten to Yuma. These are movies I really like. Fun. You know, yeah. uh, Red Solid. Road, right. Into the Wild. Ocean's 13. Transformers is a masterpiece. The first Transformers no, is a masterpiece. I'm here that I have it between National Treasure Book of Secrets and Reign Over Me. Right, down so in you have it at between 6 and 7. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but this it's is also 6.5. a year of some big swings that miss, like Spider-Man 3, mm-hmm. uh, My Blueberry Nights, which is like the only one card sure. in my movie that didn't work for me. Ever, pretty much. Yeah. The Golden Compass. God yeah. bless you, Chris. But mm-hmm. that movie, you know, you swings you, and misses. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, it's a weird year. It's a weird year. But it's it's a big year. It's It just feels like a good microcosm of everything that was happening in film. Uh, what other nominations do you give it? Oh, Jesus. Uh, sorry. Uh, Sunshine? Well, it, I don't give it an acting nomination. Okay. I don't know who I would give an acting nomination from this movie. Yeah. Because it's such an ensemble where, like, I think everyone's functioning so well. But, yes. like, is there a standout you pick? I don't know. I mean... You know, and it's a pretty loaded year. Like Rose Byrne, you know, she's not going to displace this five. But then you do like director screenplay all the tech categories. Exactly, I exactly. It's yeah. all over my text. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, you want to score? Oh, that score, that score. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the production design of this movie is incredible. Yeah, uh, like you know, the sets are very visual beautiful. Facts, the the editing. Incredible. Yeah, no, I love this movie. Um, but it is, as you say, great year for movies. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's, uh, you know, Jesse James is a movie that was a little ignored in its moment, but yet still got two Oscar nominations and I think now has grown the reputation mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it deserved at the time. Yep. Sunshine is the movie of 2007 that I think is still kind of simmering below the surface. A little bit. Less caution than the other it's... one. Those are the two films I feel mm. like deserve to be talked about. Mm. Mm-hmm. Norbit? 
I should give Norbert another rewatch. I gotta say, after that Jack and Jill screening at Nighthawk, I'm like, am I wrong about every movie I've ever disliked? No, Jack and Jill is good. Jack Norbit, and Jill's a masterpiece. Norbit has some funny moments. Yeah. But Norbit is fundamentally lacks what Jack and Jill has, which is like the emotion of Norbit is fucking nonsense. I remember Norbit feeling a little evil too. Exactly. Like, and yeah, you, the, it's Brian Robbins. There's this like weird cynical core. Yeah. Like Norbit himself is not a real character. No. Like, you're just like, eh, this guy sucks. Have you seen Norbit? No. Okay, fine. You Respucia. want us to be done, huh? Respucia? No, I just, I'm I've joking, never seen Norbit. I'm joking. Yeah. Ben's got to go to the dentist. Um, I do. Yeah. I got to get cleaned up. I've heard of David after dentist, but Ben before dentist? The thing that I have heard of in the past. <laughs> what on earth is he talking about? Is David <laughs> I'm not sure. after dentist. Now, that's like a indie film or something? It was a YouTube video where the kid is... Uh, they oh, give him yeah, dinner. the kid's like in the car and he's yeah. like, uh, Anesthesia, right. is it going to be like this forever? That's like an early uh, viral video. Right, so yes. the joke was that your name is David. Yeah. That video is called David After Dentist. Look, I mean, like, that's on paper, it's a good joke. Time and yet, frame. This you know, has been... In fact, it's just we are now dealing... Stinker for the with that. Look, I'm the Icarus <laughs> one. I tried to drop the payload. I went insane. <laughs> Boy, I got crispy. Yeah, like, yeah, you have like a video where, like, David after it makes sense. David yeah. after dentist. David it's after the dentist. title of a video. One of the hosts is David. And they're like, why is his yeah. face scarred? I'm, I'm gonna win the Mark crazy. Twain prize in humor this year. This is it. This is my moment. Um, this is one of those episodes that we just immediately decide the second we finally commit to doing Boyle. No fucking guest. No. Every once in a while, there's one like fucking Miami Vice or Hulk or whatever. We're like, we have so much goddamn shit to say. Like Ben before dentist. How <laughs> dare we cede mic time to anyone else? Um, uh, everyone go watch Sunshine. It's a great film. Yeah. Next week on Blank Check, Slumdog Millionaire, the film he won Best Picture for. So Mostly bizarre. as an apology for this film. Yeah, kind of. Uh, but but not even like... No, people love Slumdog. But yeah. uh, but to me, I was like, wow, the guy made Sunshine. You know, yeah, no. his Oscar. No, I, I feel like when, when Benjamin Button gets the Best Picture nomination the same year as Slumdog, that felt like it was an apology for ignoring Zodiac. Oh, totally. Whereas Sunshine, I think people were still like, what? When, yeah, they, when did he make that? Yeah, well, he sure did. Yeah. I mean, it didn't come out in this country, practically. That's no, why. it barely did. It's, yeah, got a limited release. Uh, ben, any final thoughts? Um, sun hot. 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 Yeah. Crispy. Yeah. You going to keep it. it crispy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Laser accuracy. Remember him? Who's that? Pete Holmes. He said laser accuracy? He used to say it all the time. I forgot that part of it. Keep it crispy, obviously. Remember. Um, he would say that every week. Do you know what Ram Dass used to say? Oh, my God. I just remember that at the end of the episodes of those podcasts would be like, do you want to say keep it crispy? And usually they'd be like, yeah. And then someone like Jesselnik is like, no. And then he goes, ah! Right, that would always you know, be the moment like where he'd be like, Liam Neeson, can you say keep it crispy? And keep it crispy. Uh, of course you should be and keeping it crispy. <laughs> <laughs> he would always, Pete Holmes would just yeah, cackle. crazy cackling. Podcast, baby. Podcast. It's our industry. Yep. Three pod bros right here. God, Marie sent me a fucking New York Times article. So mad. The dating it. hazard of, of pod bros or something like that. What was the headline? Yeah, it's something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And I was just like, this is the last thing I need right now in my personal life. Yeah. I don't need the New York Too Times. bad, pod bro. So I've decided to, and I did this in the text, and I just want to clearly announce it now to our listeners. I'm officially branding myself as a pod gentleman. Ah, very good. I am no pod bro. 
I'm Bob Podgerman. I'm, I'm, I'm Thank doffing you, David. a hat He doffs to the cap to me, and I doff the cap right yes, back to you. Yes, right. Gilded age over here. Yeah. Uh, tune in next week for Some Dog Millionaire. Still on. Accidental the Best air. Picture winner. You made it weird. Of course. Who was the last person to make it weird at the time of this recording? Joe. Rogan. No. Joe Lo. Tr- Joe Latrulio. Oh. Who, yeah. of course, played Paul physically. Well, they, when they shot Paul. Did he really? He did. That poor guy had to be on set he pretending to be an alien. And they were like, knees. by the way, Seth Rogen's voice in this alien. Oh, God. Because he's in the movie as the... Yeah, he gets to, you know. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm sorry, folks. I'm getting breaking news here. Tune in next week for Paul? Nope. Nope. Paul episode? Nope. Paul cast? Nope. Should we have Pete on the show? Yeah. I would happily have Pete. I used to but really I, love him. I mean, is it going to make it too weird? Though? No. I can't have it weird. Is it going to make it too weird? I won't. This is an aggressively normal show. Thank you all for listening to us talk about Sunshine, an episode we've been waiting eight years to do. And it worked. Yeah. We saved the sun. Thank you to Marie Barty. I was riding out of the That's how it's going to end the episode. God damn it. All right. Well, do it again. No, I'm not going to do it again. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to produce the show. Thank you to Alex Barron and AJ McKeon for our editing and playing things three times in a row. No. Playing things three times in a row. No. Playing things three times in a row. No. Playing things three times in a row. <laughs> Thank you to Joe Bowen and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. Thank you to Lay Montgomery and the Great American Owl for our theme song. J.J. Birch for our research. You can go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit including our Patreon Blank Check special features where we do franchise commentaries. Right now, we're still in the Men in Black. Probably. I don't Men in Black International, I think, coming up next. Yeah, Men in Black 3 coming up next. Uh, but a reminder that uh, every uh, 10 days, we unlock another episode from 2020 on our Patreon, free to anyone. Uh, Patreon.com slash Blank Check. Sure, sure, sure. All right, come on. See, good, we're done. Toy Story commentary is coming up. Sure, great. Yeah, Love tune in next week for Slumdog Millionaire. Yes. And as always... I was lying on the grass of Sunday morning of last week. I know it's not for me. Still my sunshine.